Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the fourth episode of Skids Up RC Heli Podcast. Um, tonight is going to be our third installment of the Getting Into the Hobby um, series that we've been doing. So tonight, instead of you know getting into various parts of the hobby for ourselves, we're going to talk about how we can co-opt our kids and get kids into the hobby. Um, as a parent myself, I know that my kids have absolutely zero interest in this hobby, so I am very curious to find out the tips and tricks of getting a younger generation of RC flyers, specifically heli flyers, um, up and about. So um, tonight we have a special guest with us, uh, Eric, who's going to be telling us a little bit of his journey through the hobby, as well as um, the different strategies and stuff that he's been using to um, to get a younger audience involved. Uh, we're going to start off tonight with um, some quick updates, as usual. And since my name shows up first on the show notes, I guess I'll go first. Um so let's see, it's been, um, how long How long has it been since we recorded? Like three weeks, four weeks? So that was the majority of my time, right? So I just got back from vacation. Um, we went to uh, Germany and Austria for uh, a couple weeks, and we ended up staying in Munich for three days or so, and then we uh, rented a, basically, an, just think about it, like an Amazon delivery van, but with windows, and we drove that from Salzburg all the way to Switzerland through the Alps. Um, with my um, my wife, our kids, and then my brother-in-law and his his family as well. So there's a lot of us caravanning. Uh, it was amazing. I haven't been to that part of Germany in a really long time since I was a, since I was a kid actually, and so we had a fantastic time. Um, and actually, the day that I got back, I got an email from um, Michael in Bavaria, who inv- since I had put out a um, an open call for heli-related things to do and see in Munich. Um, I got an email from someone who lives in Munich. So thanks, Michael, for the invitation to fly. Unfortunately, I was back in the U.S. by the time I got it. Definitely should have published that episode sooner. And then I definitely would have taken you up on that. Um, and then so we, we got home and literally three days later, a tornado came through. Well, several tornadoes came through Dallas. And one of them came within three miles of our house, which was slightly terrifying. Um, and we were up all night in the bathroom, uh, trying to stay hidden in the bathtub. And so thankfully there was no damage to our neighborhood, but uh, it did to do a significant amount of damage to the rest of Dallas. And it's been, um, they've been still cleaning that up for the last couple of weeks. So it was pretty bad in some areas. Um, so on top of that, I have been really busy with work. Haven't really done much heli stuff. I started building the Oxy five last weekend and, um, I've got, you know, about half of the frame done. But I haven't started any of the, even looking at any of the electronics yet. I still haven't even bought um, half of the electronics for that. I'm going to try to maybe solicit some advice later on today about you know what I should uh, what I should maybe go with. I was thinking about trying something new for the ESC and the servos. Uh, and then the last thing for me is I wanted to say that we just hit our 1,000th download for the show. So that's super awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will try to keep it interesting uh, so that everyone comes back. But that was it for me. Um, Frank, how have you been, man? I've been good, man. I've been good. I can't complain at all. It's been a jam-packed, heli craziness over the last couple of weeks. Um, and next couple of more weeks are going to be pretty intense as well. Um, I had my fun fly. It was, it was really good. It wasn't as big as it was last year, but the people that were there were really awesome. I had some awesome flying. Uh, only one really bad crash. Uh, I got my nitro rebuilt there, which was really cool. Uh, cool thing uh, that Jared and Justin Cook were there. They would they literally took control over it and just kept asking me if that's the way I do it and this is the way they do it. 
and it was pretty awesome. Uh, had some good food. Jesus, did I drink a lot, but all in all, it was good times. Nothing too crazy. Uh, I had some, I had some continuing issues with my black nitro. Uh, can't point it down right now. There's a lot of, I've been, listening, I've been talking to a lot of people. There's a lot, they're saying static issues, which I've yet to ever have any on five years of flying goblins. So that one I'm turning down right quick and in a hurry. Uh, but yeah, I'm going through them. It's, it's rebuilt now. I flew it, I flew it this past weekend, flew really good. Uh, I've also been testing a, a new glow igniter for Mike DePaulo is the Uglow. It's tiny. I can't, I hope he makes, he brings it to market. He will sell a ton. It's a combination of the, the switch glow and the push glow. So you can still run it off one of your channels up on your radio, as well as actually push. There's actually a button for you to push if you want to do it the old fashioned way. So it's very versatile. It's really, really tiny. Uh, excited the Kraken uh, Nitro, the conversion kit should be out here anytime soon. I got one on the way for myself. I don't have a second night Kraken yet, so I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to convert mine or um, or build another one. Uh, getting ready for Black Friday, both as a customer and as a and as a dealer. So getting prepped up for that. Oh, and we had some, and, and you know, I used to do this on the old podcast, but I think I'm going to just make it up here. We had some huge drama on the hangout. It was not huge. It was one night. And this guy was blaming all the admins because somebody deleted a post. And it's, it's crazy how quickly the hangout will turn on somebody when they see that they're doing something wrong. And it was pretty awesome. I laughed my ass off. Uh, but, uh, the tool of the week or the troll of the week. I was going to say tool. We changed it to tool. Damn dude. No, no troll, troll, troll of the week. Troll of the week. I mean, I kind of like tool of the week too. You should have a segment. <laughs> you should have a segment for tool of the week. Oh man. No, that's too much. You should have troll, troll of the week every week and tool of the week only when necessary. How's that? Yeah. Tool of the month and troll of the week. Right. <laughs> but yeah, man, it was crazy. This guy was blaming us and I'm like showing him the, the admin log and I'm like, Hey, Look, dude, I'm, I'm, I understand that you're upset because someone deleted a comment that you wrote and you were very proud of that. And I, I feel you. I agree with you, man. But look, I'm being honest with you. Someone, none of the admins deleted it. And I'm showing them the log. And I'm like, can some, and, then I, and then the other admins were showing them the log as well. I was like, guys, we didn't delete it. Someone else did. The, the original poster did. Oh, he wouldn't have done that. And I was like, who's the original poster? Oh, I don't remember. I was like. Well, thanks, dude. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had to, I had to read that one with a bag of popcorn. Oh yeah, that was comical. It's been a while since we had someone lose their mind like that, but it was good. Uh, man, I mean, like, geez, like, oh, you're, you know, every name possible, and I'm kind of laughing about it. I'm like, look, and I'm responding back in nature and 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 just. And I'm like, I'm sending him a message on private. I'm like, hey, look, dude, look, I, I understand that you're upset, but look. Here's the log. We didn't do that. We didn't do it. You know, I'm just like, and I'm constantly going, it's like, you need to apologize to me in public. That was like my response to every time he would unload. And yeah, good times. I enjoyed it. I mean, did you just kick him out? No, he left. He left on his own. I usually, I usually, I usually don't kick him out when they're, when they're being like crazy drunken fools. I kind of let, let them stew in their own, 
in their own filth for a while. The the other members will remind them how much of a dick they were. All right. Well, since I'm I'm since I'm new to Facebook, I guess it's only a matter of time before I publicly lose my shit. I'm looking forward to it. You know, you know, we 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 laugh about these things, but I've 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 made some retarded comments on the Hangout before, and it's uh, it's also it's also interesting. Every once in a while, somebody will will be a complete ass, and then they'll turn around and apologize and totally redeem themselves. So there's there's a little bit of a flip side to it every once in a while too. Oh yeah. It's very forgiving, dude. Hey man, no one's fucked up on the hangout more than I have. So I can tell you that. So the, they still the V Bar Neo and <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. SAV B Bar hangout, dude. That's not my proudest moment, but it was funny. You guys get upset with me. I know people have left. I didn't get upset, but it was but, it was really funny. You know, it was really funny. All right, so what happened? What's the story? Oh god. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't have brought it up. Oh no no no! Come on, let's, let's get some hangout history here. Polly, this Polly, this was amazing, dude. It was February twenty eighth. The reason why I know it was February twentieth because I was in the hospital, right? And I don't know what it was, you know. It's you'll you'll you had the good drugs, man. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it happens every year, and I'm almost like I'm getting ready for an out because winter's coming, and that's when all the trolls come out, and they just amplified. I don't know if it's being cooped up inside the house. Lack of flying. I don't know what it is. Fresh air. I don't know what the F it is, but they just come out and just bros ready, ready for it. And just, they just go off on these tangents. And most of the time I'm like just playing with them. But this time last year I was in the hospital, not feeling too good. And this guy's just kind of ripping me about something. And the guy's a decent dude. So I don't even know how it all turned out to be. And He's like, oh, all you ever guys ever post here is about uh, SAB and V-Bar. And somebody that's in the hospital, kind of bad mood, is like, oh, really? I'll show you SAB V-Bar. And it was meant, and it was honestly, and I still say to this day, no one can change my mind. It was meant to be as a joke to get people to laugh. But not everyone laughed. And a lot of people took it offensive. And I understand why. But, uh, but yeah, man, it was it was just meant to be a joke. And, you know, the same thing with that guy, Matt Borden, who that dude, if you're, if you ever listen to this dude, come back to the hangout, dude, no one's ever gonna, no one kicked you out. You left on your own. Just come back and hang out, dude. I've done a lot worse things. I will probably do a lot worse things, you know, but dude, it was so bad. It was so bad. I got a call from Bert and that usually doesn't happen. Usually I get my, usually I get a discussion from Ron and it's kind of like, okay, yeah, you did something wrong. You shouldn't have done that. But when Bert calls me, I know I'm in trouble. And I had, <laughs> Uh-oh. I had to, I had to talk to him for a bit. He was like, "Don't fucking do stupid shit like that again." It's like, you know, you're this is important. I'm like, "All right, Bert, I'm sorry, dude. It wasn't it was meant to be as a joke." It's like everybody's fucking pissed. It's like you lose you lost like so much of a people and I'm like, "No, Bert, I didn't lose 20-30% of the hangout. I lost 2.3% of the hangout." I thought it was like 20%. I was like, no, dude, it was 2.3%. And he's like, oh, dude, all right, don't be an asshole. You know? And- <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bert. It's like 2%. Well, screw that guy then. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it was because it, it was funny. It happened right at 35 when we hit 3,500 members. And, you know, and it went from like 3,500 to like, yeah, it, it, you you lost like eighty five or something. It wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, it, it wasn't crazy, 
And we lost some good people. I'm not going to lie. We did lose some good pro pilots because they didn't appreciate it. But for God's sakes, man, it was meant as a joke. And a lot of those, and a few of those pro pilots have come back. And I'm very thankful for them. You know, guys, thank you for accepting my apology and the tremendous amount of ass kissing I had to do to get you back. So thank you guys. And those who haven't come back, Hey, if you want, if you if you if you're having a, a low day or something, hit me up. I'll kiss your ass to try to get you back again, and make you feel better. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, oh, it was it's man. just one of those things that it was meant to be from the get go. It was meant to be a joke. It was meant to be offensive or hurt anybody's feelings. You know, it's like people's like, oh, you're trying to ruin the hangout. I was like, dude, I spent so much time trying to build it. Why would I? Why would I ruin it? Yeah, the, 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 well, the funniest thing was that like you, you didn't know, but you had to wait, was it 28 days or something before you could change the name back? Like it was, yeah, it was supposed to be like one or two day joke, but it didn't wind up that way. Yeah. So that was the other issue, man. Wait, hold on. You changed the name of the Facebook group? Yeah, he changed it from, RC, from the RC Heli Hangout to the, the SAB and Mikado V-Bar Hangout or something like that. And, and then, and then, yeah, and then, sorry, that's, and that's then he couldn't. I, I thought you just had it in a comment. <laughs> then he couldn't change it back. No, no, no. <laughs> So, then I couldn't change it back for 30 days, like, dude. Oh, oh my god, it was dude. terrible. It was terrible, dude. It, it was so bad. I, I downloaded it. Awesome, Frank. That's good. I, good job, dude. I downloaded it. Yeah, it was. It was. I tell you what, it was a joke that kept on giving. But but did it really though, dude? I must. Oh man, I still laugh, dude. My other admins were pissed off, Chris. Man, Chris Nutt, who never has ever gotten mad at me in the entire time I've known him, was furious. He's like, dude, you got to make me look like an ass in front of my sponsors and all this. No, and, man. And I, I'm like, we, had, they, we, had, we hadn't even got to the funniest part yet. The, the funniest thing, you, you put like a little tiny, you were in the hospital. You put like a little tiny live stream right after you changed the name, like before all the shit erupted. And you were like, yeah, shit got weird. And you're from your hospital room. You're like, yeah, shit just got weird. And I'm about to get on the good drug. So shit's going to get weirder. And I was like, weirder than this? I don't know. Oh, man. That was great. Oh, man. Oh, and fantastic. It's, it's funny how, you know, I I try not to react to the post because I've done it. I've been, I've been doing it for such a long time now that I see, like, some guys just want to be heard or have someone talk to. And it's gone. It's been crazy. It's been crazy over the the two years or almost three years now that the hangout has been around that I've seen them all. I just seen about everything on it. And it's, I have a bunch of new admins, like, I mean, new admins that have been with me for a little bit over a year and they still react to the way I used to react. And I'm like, guys, they just want your attention. Don't, don't get it to, don't let them get to you, you know? Uh, and they do a great job and that's awesome because that way I, I can still have fun and kind of joke around and I have to be the fun police anymore, you know? Sometimes, sometimes I have to be that asshole, and I don't like to be. I, I rather, you know, don't get me wrong, guys. I love to see a bunch of women with helis, but we can't have that because we have kids and ladies in the group as well. So, man, just Photoshop, Photoshop some firemen with helis and stick it in there. It's fine. <laughs> I, I, you will lose a member. <laughs> don't, okay, don't, don't do that. That's a bad idea. Oh God, sorry. So that was a long rabbit hole. My, my apologies. No, no worries, man. That was good times, dude. I had, I had, I had, there was, there was. Managers of teams at the time so upset with me. I wasn't even on that team. I could care less. Threaten, threatening to get take everyone out of the out of it. No, no, this person is not going to be. I'm not going to let anybody on my team, my pilots be on there. And I'm like, all right, man. I'm, I'm asking my other friends. Hey, can you run point on this because I'm going to laugh at them and the shits are going to hit the fan. And you know, and everybody, and I, and I really honestly like. 
I still, to the day, I will say to him, blue in the face, it was meant to be a joke. And it was just, it turned out to be a really bad joke that I couldn't change it back right away. But there were some people that were like, oh, not a gob. There was like this thing that just kept saying, oh, not a goblin, like hashtag not a goblin. And I was like, okay, dude, that doesn't offend me. You think that's hurting my feelings? <laughs> it was like, I, I mean, I, I guess I have a hard time taking things that seriously, especially when it's related to something that I do for fun. Dude, so. but, but, peop, but people in the hobby don't, there's certain people in this hobby that, that need this hobby for, for multiple, and, it, and it's an escape from real life. And if somebody, if somebody doesn't have a great life or somebody's just going through a thing, they go to the, they, they go to the hobby to get them out of their heads. And it, honestly, it was the reason why it, it helped me a long time ago. You know, you know, I haven't really talked about it or anything like that, but uh, my daughter's autistic and kind of the hobby kind of, I was already in it, but it really helped me kind of walk the, get through a lot of things because I had something to kind of help me organize things, you know, or give me a time to like, which flying helicopters is one of those things that you just have to be so focused that when you're doing it, you don't think about anything else. And that's, that's kind of one of the things that I use to help me deal with a, I mean, I can, I completely agree with you on that one though. But the, the idea of taking the politics of squabbling that seriously is what I meant. Oh yeah. That I don't understand. And I think it was because some people take it as I am, I am ruining their good time. It was the same thing that happened when the drones came out. I am, they're destroying my good time. I was like, well, yeah, now, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, they did fuck things up, you know, because now we have a lot more things to deal with than we did before. But, um, yeah, I don't let, like, I just don't see the point of it. You know, I'm, I'm on teams and I, as a dealer, you know, as, as, a, as a business owner in the hobby, you know, there's a lot more drama that I won't even talk about on here. You know, there's just... Just there's some shade. There's to be honest, in the background of this, there's some shady people in this business, and you know, um, no one wants to ever hear that. No one wants to hear that. But there is. There's things that ha that happen in the background that should never happen, and there's things that happen with uh, businesses that do things to other businesses that should never happen. And, True, but I mean, I, I go to I go to a hobby to escape those dealings. Yeah, and I agree so. with you, a hundred percent. I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, yeah. So it's it's just one of those things that I wish I wish that people would figure out a way to separate both of them, but I guess some can't. You know. All right. Well, this got real dark real fast. So yeah. I'm gonna cut you off, Frank. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> Thanks. Oh man, All right, Javier, what you got, man? Um, okay. Well, I'm. Uh... I'm really happy because I finally was able to get. Wait, you can't be ha you can't be happy. You can't be happy. We're we're in a dark we're in a dark mode yeah. right now. <laughs> Start with your sad news, then move okay, to happy news. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll be sad then. Okay, so I I cannot I cannot be happy. Okay, so instead of being happy that I got all my spares to finish my my helicopter, well, about this, <laughs> I'm sad that I cannot uh, afford you know uh, seven hundred. So what's about? What about that? That's a good. That's a good starting point. Now, now go to the happy stuff. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, so yeah, I I finally got my parts. Uh, the last order of everything that I needed. Um, I started finding out a whole bunch of 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 stuff, and uh, I guess um, I have a uh, you know a good story to tell, and uh, I don't know, uh, kind of like um. Uh, you know, a PSA or, you know, a, a piece of advice for everyone that, you know, it's not 
always the first thing that you find or what you think that might be the issue that may be the issue um, uh, you know especially around such a complex machine like these remote control helicopters well um so if you remember i've i've been having issues um well i've been very focused on on the issues about the tail static and um i you know i got a multimeter um I got my Dremel, you know, I I went out and checked theory. You know, I, I did a whole bunch of stuff because I was very focused on this uh, issue about the tail static on, on the goblins. So um, after, all the, um, after all the research that I did, I was convinced that this was the issue. And then um, I started, you know, getting my, my helis ready uh, to receive the parts. And I noticed that um, the frames on on uh, on both the 570 and the 500 cracked the frame at the um, at the uh, battery locking. Uh, there's a there's a small piece that uh, that you bolt on to the to the frame side that acts kind of like a spring to uh, to get the the batteries in place. So I noticed that this was broken, which meant that I needed to replace the frame. So that led me to disassemble the heli a little bit more. So as I disassembled it and I pulled out the cables for the motor again, I started to notice that there was something else on those cables. So I took a deeper look and uh, lo and behold, the uh, I took out the shrink wrap, the, the heat shrink from the uh, from the motor bullets and one of the motor bullets was not only uh, you know burned it was completely toasted it actually is missing a part you know part like the, I don't know if it broke melted or whatever but that's definitely you know an arc that's definitely an electric arc uh, due to a bad solder so those are my issues. So the 500 that had my hits that killed my helicopter twice, you know, there's there's my root cause. So I was, you know, all uh, all into, you know, so, uh, you know, enveloped or, you know, very focused on trying to get to one issue and trying to get all the theory and trying to get all the opinions and trying to get, you know, all the tools and trying to prove something. That in the end, um, I lost sight of, you know, it could be something else. And not until I went, you know, luckily I broke that and I had to disassemble a little bit more and, and I looked. And, you know, it turns out that I had a different issue that I didn't know that I had. So, you know, I could have done all these tail static fixes and all of a sudden my helicopter would die again because that was not the root cause. So I guess kind of like just... Um, just kind of like a, a advice for everyone to know, you know, just don't go until what you what you think it is. Try to find something else because these machines really have a lot of uh, things that could could go wrong, and some of them might be hidden. So uh, just make sure that uh, you go in and uh, verify everything uh, accordingly to make sure that you don't do the same mistake and just go down rabbit hole that it's not really the rabbit hole you want to go well, to. I'm glad you found the, uh, I'm glad you found the cause though, because I know that was going to, that was driving you crazy for a bit. Yes. 
it was it was it was it was very annoying and uh and it helped to have some enemy <laughs> to uh <laughs> to point it at uh but uh but it turns out that it was not the right enemy well i too have been a, a victim of my shitty soldering skills more than once actually I, re I remember one of the one of the very first things i read in the hobby was on that was on heli freak and i don't remember who wrote it but uh, there's there's like a checklist on there about it is it's like a, something you can print and just check all the boxes if you're having problems with a heli and go through and just go through every last little thing and i i remember very specifically this the first sentence or two was like uh you know a, a majority of crashes in this hobby are due to uh like easily findable mechanical or electrical problems you know once you get past your your learning year or two and you're like a competent pilot most crashes are caused by that. I don't know if statistically if that's true, but I I do take it really seriously. When I have a heli that's not behaving right in any way, shape, or form, it goes out of the fleet and onto the bench until I understand what the problem is. Because I'm not willing to send a three thousand dollar machine up in the air to eat dirt just over being lazy. That's really interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that post before. Um, do you remember any of the other uh, points on the checklist? Uh, I, I've got it here somewhere. I can uh, send it to you. Yeah. Yeah, let's. Um, if if you do have it, I'll throw it into the show description because that's something that's um, that's definitely useful for for more for more than um, more than just present company. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah that that would be good to to know. So uh, so to grab to grab my piece up, um, between the last podcast that feels like a long time ago, um, and uh, and now I actually got to fly once. There was one nice day uh, in between these fallish winter-ish weather that I could actually fly. Uh, of course, my 500 and 570 are still on the bench because they were still waiting for parts, and they're still waiting for me to you know get those parts together and fix them. Um, but the 380 was ready to fly. So I took it out, and uh, I, it actually behaved very nicely. Uh, it was a uh, it was a good time. I was cautious, um, although I did have fun. But I was a little bit cautious just because, you know, I um, it, it's been a long while since I since I flew, and I had all these tales that it mumbo jumbo in my head. So I uh, I was still flying. Um, you know, um, not that I do you know do much, but. Um, trying to file to to you know give it a couple notches down just to make sure that everything came back home in one piece uh but it was it was fun you know to see the guys out of the field to have a good time to fly a little bit and now I'm confined onto my hibernation stage but um not 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 all is lost because I've been simming a lot um I put out a couple of um of crazy videos um on on youtube of what i was doing on the sim so i feel like it's gonna help me a lot i think that i've identified the areas that i need to work on um i still need to you know as always as every single pro pilot tells you make sure that you get your orientations right so that's uh what i'm gonna keep working at because you know these many years in the hobby i still don't have my orientations fully polished so that's um, that's something that I'm gonna be working really, really hard this uh, this winter. Um, it's good because I don't get to crash at all. <laughs> Even if I crash a bunch on on the Sims, you know, it's just uh, hit the uh, R key on the keyboard and you get back up on the air again. So that's pretty cool. 
do you have any um, any avenue for indoor flying with like a like an MCPX or Nano or anything like that? Yes, um, I have a I have a um, the Nano S two and uh, a one fifty and a line one fifty X. Although what the one fifty X, I don't think that because of my skill set I would be able to fly it indoors. It's a little rocket. The S two for sure, um, but uh, but I don't have anywhere. Uh, you know, to go fly at. I've known people when I when I was business traveling to Fargo um, during the winter. I know that there's people that uh, get a hold of a school gym and they do like a like a weekly event there at night. So that's pretty cool. But I don't know of anything here that you know I could do that with because the basement uh, is not enough to you know to really practice. Right. We you know so so gym flying is not something that's really a thing here, uh, just because the weather is usually pretty favorable. But uh, I am curious: uh, Do you guys know how they typically go about that? I mean, what happens if you just you know plow a heli into the nicely waxed gym floor and <laughs> and you tear up the wood? I've always wondered what, what uh, like what what they did with with um, with those kinds of arrangements. Do they kind of kick you yeah. kick you out of you if you throw your oxy two into the wall? <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. That's a, that, that's I, a good I, question. I, you know, usually at those events... I think the AMA has a thing that you can do. It's treated like almost like a part flyer where they'll give you some... They'll get, there's some kind of insurance that you can buy if you if you get a kind of sanction or something like that. If you get a sanction event. Yeah, so you, uh, all you cold weather listeners, I'm, I'm very curious. If you, um, you want to contact one of us and let us know how you guys treat the issue of liability with gym flying. I would be very interested in the response. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've seen small helis that usually, you know, just, uh, kick, kick the, the floor and cause no damage. But, um, I've also seen some people mostly on, on Europe, you know, pros that fly 700s and 570s. Um, and that that is insane. Exactly. Like I've I've seen some of those videos too. That is just insane. <laughs> Have you guys the Tarek video of him flying in that in that huge concrete structure? It looks like a like it belongs in like West Germany in the forties. I've seen that one. Uh, the one I'm thinking of is uh, the Mikado pilot. I forget his name. But M uh, Marco Sasena. Mirko, yeah, yeah, yes, Sasena, that dude. Oh my God, that was. Uh, he's got some amazing indoor flights. Yeah, he's yeah. like an indoor tennis court. Yeah, that was ri ridiculous. I mean, to the point where, like, if you crash that thing into the into the ground or into the floor, it would easily tear a. It would tear yeah, a board yeah, up. It would know, shred a little bit. Yeah, or two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I think that um, Don Dominic Overhausen, I think, is the one that uh, that does also a lot of indoor flying with big helicopters on gyms. So that's uh, that's also, you know, it's it's always uh, fun to see those. And uh, I think there's a video out there also of a guy that just basically crashed it into the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> it just it was just confetti that rained down. How did you get a video of me, Javier? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Let's um let's heckle our guest, <laughs> Eric. Um, <laughs> so so nice. here's, there's two things here. We get a quick update from you, but then and to lead into your topic, you've got to give us your your origin story. So why don't you do a bit of both? Oh uh, boy, what you've been up to, and then also what's your journey been? What's your progression been? Um, how do you know these guys? That kind of stuff. 
Oh, uh, okay. Um, I'll have to kind of keep that brief because I've got a, you know, a, a longish background story under the main topic. But um, so uh, built a, uh, a Spectre 700, finished it four or five weeks ago. It's been flying like a champ. Um, this is my first non-goblin kit that I've built in a long time. My very first kit was a Galway X3L, which is currently crashed. I'm sitting on like six out of eight helis crash right now. It's kind of depressing. Uh, I have a couple of small ones that I just haven't, you know, like the, the Gowie. I crashed it at a fun fly, I don't know, a year and a half ago, and it's just been sitting. But two weekends ago, man, uh, three weekends ago now, I had a, a day where I crashed. Uh, I dumb thumbed a fireball which I usually fly as a warm-up heli. And then I dumb-thumbed my irreplaceable original Goblin 500 Carbon on the very next battery pack. Yeah, it does. And it really hurts because I used these... Uh, before I was uh, thinking things through in this hobby, I used those uh, random heli skid clamps. And I put them straight on my wall, which is great ordinarily, except for if you need to replace a helicopter, now you have big holes that fit that footprint in your wall. So I really want to find another kit with those exact same landing gear, and it's getting harder and harder to do. Uh, so I may have to think of another way to, to hang my helis on the wall that covers up all those holes or something. Anyway, I, I crashed that one. And then on the very next battery pack, which is my 700 Kyle Stacy, I had it about 200 feet up, and it's got an OptiPower backup battery on it that's, that the previous owner put in. And I noticed the battery wasn't holding a charge, so I replaced it. Uh, prior to this flight, I charged it up to about oh, four volts before I put it in the heli. Um, it got about 200 feet up and that battery caught on fire and started uh, shooting flame and smoke out. And I, I immediately hit throttle, throttle hold and headed for the ground. I autoed it down really fast and dumped it in the middle of the, um, luckily on the skids in the middle of the, of the runway. Uh, and then about two seconds after I landed the ESC wires, which were, are run right by that battery, melted through and the whole heli shut down. So if it had been, if I had been any slower to react, that would have been minus the $3,000 machine in addition to the other two. So it wasn't my best day at the field. Uh, you know, I, on that heli, um, we have a really, really good uh, electrical guy here at New Creations RC up in Willis, uh, which is south of you. And um, he was able to like cut all those wires apart and very carefully resolder them and check everything out. So it was like $25 worth of his labor. And I just took the OptiGuard out because I've never actually had a failure and I don't feel like babysitting those batteries anymore. But you were able to, uh, you're, I mean, you were able to land with the battery. Like was the battery itself on fire? Oh yeah. I, I went over, I ran over and, and ripped it out just barehanded. It didn't do any, okay. Didn't do any damage to the canopy or anything. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's soot all over everything, but I just took some baby wipes and cleaned it out. It's no big deal. So, I, I mean, fu functionally everything is. Yeah, but it's the, uh, it's not the main flight. It's not the main flight battery, right? It's the OptiPower battery. Yeah. It was a little 400 milliamp or 800 milliamp hour, whatever that little bitty one is. So it was, it wasn't. And what, and what, what battery was it? Did you replace it with another OptiGuard or did you try? I did. I put, I, I put another OptiGuard battery in there. The same exact one. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. I've I've been flying the opt I've been flying the OptiGuard on on everything just about now. What I, what I think happened is probably um, something on the board was having a problem, and it probably probably the original battery wasn't actually bad. Maybe it's the board. I don't know. It, it doesn't matter. Um, I, I know they're very reliable. I just had bad luck, but that's what happened. And it's uh, 
it almost was real bad. So anyway, that was my, uh, and that was our, our annual club fun fly at one of the flight clubs that, that I belong to. So everybody was just super impressed with me that day. It was great. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so last Saturday, I guess two weekends ago now we had a, a warbird event, uh, at, at a different club that I fly at and I do not have any, um, warbird painted, uh, Apaches or, or, you know, I don't have any scale helis. So, um, sue me, but I went and bought a plank. I bought a little foamy P 47. So the kids would have something to fly. And we went up there and raised hell with all these guys and they're big, huge seven, seven foot P 51s out there. We were tooling around. Uh, it was, it was pretty funny watching my, my eight year old make, make pretty landing after pretty landing and, and, uh, watching all these, these guys <laughs> crash their warbirds trying to land them. I don't, I don't know what it is about those big, those bigger warbirds. I guess they're heavy and, and the, Control the control services are kind of small, but once they once they land, they tend to go sideways, and uh, there was quite a bit of that going on. Yeah, you got to land them kind of fast. I've I've had a few warbirds in the past, and you have to land them really fast. Plus, yeah, the one club I belong to, there's a guy that just flies them all the time, dude. And I, I you can almost count on it that every time he goes out there, he's putting one in, and he's putting one in badly. Yeah, uh, there was there were, there had to be ten grand worth of crashes that day. I don't know what it was. One one of them one one body one guy crashed into the trees. A couple out in the farmer's field. Five or six got torn up landing or taken off. It was it was. I mean, of course there was a there was two hundred three hundred flights that day. It's not like every flight was a catastrophe, but it was a lot of crashes. Uh, I was very surprised. What kind of warbirds were these that were going in? Were they the foam kind or are they the full balsa? No, no. Mo- most of them are, most of them are the are the ones that these guys buy as arps and then spend a year putting together. Some of them were some of them were um plan built. Uh, there was one that was uh Zeroli something or other. I don't know. They're they're nice planes, man. They're expensive. Well well put together. Some of them are fiberglassed over. I mean, they're you know, the, the, these are the these guys that that have in their their build is more their hobby than their flying. I think I don't really know, but it's a lot of money, man. A lot of money and a lot of time in these kits. And uh, you know, David would go out and send one up and fly around four or five minutes and plop it down the middle runway and go get it over and over and over. It was just like, oh man. <laughs> so which one did you buy again? The, the little the little uh, E flight P forty seven. It's uh, it's like a 1.2 meter wingspan. That's a cute little plane. It's fun. Flies good. I mean, as planks go, it flies good. The uh, fun fun tidbit: my grandfather was a P47 pilot in uh, World War II. Oh, so that's awesome. I have a. I've never actually bought a. I've never actually bought a model of it though. Yeah, my my grandfather flew Dauntlesses. There's not a lot of models for those. Um, so, so anyway, I, I got, I got a, a new fireball habit kit, uh, to replace the old one. I'm just going to keep the old one for parts and, and, uh, to replace the 500, I just went ahead and bought a crack and I'm usually not the first guy at a new kit, but I figured it's been around half a year now. I'm sure they have all the bugs worked out of it. I'm sure they've sold a ton of them and got all the feedback they need. So yeah, dude, if you have any problems, hit me up with it. Uh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get my second one here soon. So just hit me up. Let me know. I got the yellow one. It's sitting here ready to build. Nice. Yeah. So that'd be fun. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I've been at. And then as far as my background story, um, my, my first flight was, uh, December 15th, 2017. So it's pushing two years now, um, to a year and 11 months, I guess. Um, I came in just really, really committed. Uh, and I, I kind of feel like I'm telling this story backwards. So I may kind of back out, but, um, it was coming off the, the end of, uh, 
childhood cancer treatment and was like the first time in about two years I felt like I had any, any time to myself. So, um, I had always wanted to fly helis and I'd considered it before, uh, before I started racing motorcycles seven, eight years ago. And I, you know, two expensive hobbies wasn't on the books for me at the time. And then crashed a motorcycle, got hurt really bad, started having children, uh, had a sick child. And then, uh, when I kindly got kind of got a breath, then this is just the next thing I jumped into. And I went both feet in the puddle immediately. I mean, I, I wound up with like a couple of beginner hub helis and then, uh, a 360 CFX. And then I wound up in a situation where I was able to buy, um, three, three, ca three crashed goblins, uh, in one sitting, I bought a, what was it? A 630, a 500 and the 700 Cal Stacy from a farmer, uh, up also up near Willis who bought them on the excuse that he was going to fly them around with a camera and survey his, his land. And he's a self-professed member of the More Money Than Brains Club. So he, he bought three goblins and, and had somebody professionally build them and then oh, wow. immediately crashed all three of them and decided that this <laughs> hobby was not for him. So I got three, three goblin wrecks with all the electronics for about a thousand bucks. And then uh, I, I think I put, I, I forget, and it's been a while, but I think I put another six or 800, less than $2,000 all in uh, plus a transmitter. I had three flyable goblins and I found a guy up there who, who knows what he's doing with builds. Uh, there's he's kind of like the local guy when, when he builds something and he puts it up for sale, people want to buy it because they know it's going to fly well. He volunteered to spend a weekend and go through him with me and make sure that all the important pieces were working and the drivetrains were smooth and the showed me how to check for notchy bearings and missing Loctite and all that stuff. So I felt reasonably comfortable uh, that they were going to fly. So then I went out and promptly crashed one of them <laughs> and went, maybe I better go to something smaller again. So uh, I went back to the original helis we bought, which was a Blade 200S, which is the little uh, fixed pitch, which is a great heli, by the way, if you can get your hands on one. It's super for kids. Um 230S, 360 CFX, a um, couple other ones. I put a lot of flights on those helis. And I, I I crashed them and crashed them and crashed them and almost rage quit the hobby a couple of times because for whatever reason, I could not get a sim working at the time. And when I finally did, it was like, okay, I'm done flying for a month. Let me just get in this computer and figure out what the hell I'm doing. And things went a lot better after that, a lot better. So that's kind of my origin story in the hobby. Uh, well, it's amazing once you get past that point of, you know, every single flight might be a crash to, mm -hmm. you know, kind of the inverse of that. Yeah. <laughs> Where you expect to land the helicopter instead of expect to crash the helicopter. Right. You don't need seven football fields to fly a 200 size machine exactly. because you might hurt something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So I guess if that's all of us, let's get into the main topic. So kids in the hobby. Um, this is interesting for me because I have in multiple, multiple situations have been the absolute youngest member of every flying club that I've been a part of by at least two to three decades. Um, so I'm, you know, mid thirties right now, but most of the people that I deal with on a regular basis are in their mid sixties. So uh, it's definitely a hobby that is, you know, slanting towards um, the older generations of which I consider myself a part of now, but mm -hmm. It's, you know, you hear conversations about how to get kids in the hobby and they kind of just 
fizzle out when the topic of video games comes up. So I am <laughs> very curious to hear your thoughts on this. Okay. Um, so I, I kind of tried to sit down and, and organize some notes because there, there's a, a bit of a background here. So uh, I got to give you the disclaimer first. Um, I, I'm not a parenting expert. I'm not a child psychologist. I'm not a psychologist of any kind. Uh, what I am is the father of an eight-year-old child who is a five-year cancer survivor. And that, that doesn't make me someone you should listen to necessarily, but it did really make me step back and think hard about parenting, which is something I had just always kind of taken in stride prior to that diagnosis. Uh, made me get a, give a lot of thought to how we spend time together as a family. Uh, made me think a lot about how to build a strong family that could stay together through thick and thin. And it made me want to try much harder to be a great dad. Uh, and it also made me think a lot about how I could give David some advantages uh, because he's going to have some significant disadvantages in life. So um, uh, there, there's a lot going on in the world too that, that I've um, been thinking about a lot lately. Uh, the, the world, historically speaking, is changing super fast and the rate of change is accelerating very dramatically. Uh, in particular, of course, the internet's everywhere. You just can't get away from it. And so you better learn to live with it. Um, and in my, in my humble opinion, giving very young children a connected device and letting that be their sole form of entertainment is probably not a good idea. Uh, so you need some other things for them to do. Um, uh, I'm of the opinion they need to be outside moving. Sports are good. Bicycles and skateboards are good. Running is good. Anything that develops their coordination and physical confidence, uh, personally, I think is good. Um, yeah, we're uh, definitely, you know, on the same line of thought here. I, I get uh, incredulous looks when I tell people that my five-year-old doesn't really understand that phones and iPads can play games, uh, because they've never, she's never been exposed to it, and it, in my house, she never will be. So it's something that you know might be fun for other people. You can when you go over to grandma's house, or you can play it when you're on vacation. But at home, you know, these things are for work. These things serve a purpose, and. You know, when we play, we play outside, we, we ride bikes and she's the only one, she's five years old. She's the only one that she knows that knows how to ride a bike, which is amazing to me. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, and look, you, I mean, you, you gotta let them have some video games, right? I don't, I don't want anybody to think that, that I think your kid should be the kid at the lunch table shooting jacks going, my dad says this is a video game, right? This is not, there's a real world we have to deal with, obviously. <laughs> um, it just, uh. I mean, it, it, the, I mean, the reason I bring this up is is because, and I'll I'll get to this in some detail a little later. But you know, when 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 David was sick and we were exhausted, we we just found that we were getting more and more screen time. And at some point, we were, I don't know, sitting at a coffee shop somewhere and and sat down for twenty minutes. And and my wife and I were both looking at our phones and didn't speak to one another. And we we finally looked each other in the eye and went, "This isn't right. We got to put a stop to this." Uh, so anyway, that's um, it's not necessarily to do with kids. Uh, so, so we, we have, um, we have just the world changing in general, uh, work is changing a lot, right? Um, the expectation that everybody can have a trade and still afford a house, two kids, two cars, two dogs, and a retirement is not as realistic as it used to be. Uh, and I think from a purely competitive perspective, having some ability with a wide variety of things very young is good. So as a kid and a young adult, if you understand electronics, if you can code a little, if you can solder, if you can work with your hands, if you can write well, if you're well-spoken, 
you know, if, if in short, you can do the kinds of work that are more difficult to replace with a machine, uh, I think you're better off. Um, the internet is changing people's brains, I think. And I, I hate to get out of my soapbox here, but you know, when, when I was a kid, uh, I could, I could sit and read a book. I could remember the characters' names. I understood the plot. I would sit and contemplate what I was reading. What did it mean? What can I learn about life? What's presented as right and wrong. And that, that analysis was instrumental in my ability to think in general. And these days I have a much harder time with that, right? If I reading a book, I'm skimming, uh, if I have to read something technical, I really have to buckle down and force myself to absorb it. I get distracted. I find myself Googling characters or historical facts about the story or side concepts. And before you know it, I'm not even reading the book anymore. Um, I mean, and, and this is this is a really common thing. Uh, if anybody cares to go go look it up and, and like actually give some thought to it, it's pretty well documented in a book uh, by a guy named Nicholas Carr called The Shallows. Um, but anyway, as a father, I want my kids doing things that stretch their attention span a little bit, right? I want them to be bored sometimes. I want them to learn to wait patiently. I want them to have time in their day for introspection, open-ended thought, consideration, these kinds of things. And when you have, and when you have a device <laughs> in your hand, I know it's really, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. This is funny because my, my daughter comes to me sometimes and she's like, dad, I'm bored. And I'm like, good. Yeah. Good. good. It's good. good to be bored. <laughs> good opportunity. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, go sit in your room and look at the, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> read some books. Yeah, when, I was, yeah, when I was a kid, we had a stick. And if we were lucky, a roll of caps, you know, like. <laughs> Which, dude, that's a ton of fun. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> to this day, of course. But when you've got a device in your hand and you get bored, especially as a kid, you're going to open that thing up and entertain yourself. And all those other good internal behaviors go by the wayside, right? And then, uh, and, and don't worry, I am going to tie all this back into the hobby. Um, and if I sound like I'm preaching, please forgive me. I don't intend to. It's just my thoughts. Um, but people don't interact the way we used to, right? The soft skills necessary to react to a person's face in real time are eroding, right? When you interact online, I mean, Frank was talking about this in the Hangout, right? You have a few things that are different. You don't get that facial response to tell you if you're being inappropriate. You don't have to answer a question now. You can put it off and think about it and come across as much more capable than you might be in real time. Uh, when you say something, something nice to a girl, you don't get to enjoy her real smile. You don't know if she's a little pleased, very pleased, indifferent, or what. All you get is whatever emoticon she chooses to use. Um, boundaries aren't the same, right? People can be truly horrible to one another with this sense of anonymity you get online. That's not how people really are. So I want my kids to spend more time uh, in the flesh around other human beings. Uh, in particular, I want them to spend time around other people that are not staring at a screen. And we just had a, a visit to the beach at somebody's beach house where there was a beach to hang out, a grill to cook on, uh, balls to throw and catch and kites to fly. And all the kids that had phones were just sitting around staring at their phones the whole weekend. It was crazy. Um, so... Uh, senior men and women uh, that you run into in the hobby, as much as we bitch about them being cranky old plankers, uh, they have stories about the way the world is and, and was that my kids can't get from me. I haven't been around long enough to really have a sense of how things are. I haven't lived through a world war or Vietnam. Uh, the things that I know and think are very different from what somebody in their 60s, 70s or 80s thinks. And we run into those guys a lot at the field. So I think that's good. Um, anyway, so we have all these things we've, things we've mentioned. Uh, the world is changing. Work is becoming more technology oriented. Attention spans are getting shorter. Human interaction is becoming terse or not as personal. 
declining social skills, maybe um, money may or may not be getting harder to come by. Uh, and if the world is changing in the way I think it is, uh, then it's important for kids to be prepared a little differently than I was as a kid. Um, as a blanket statement, being involved in the RC hobby provides some opportunities for a child to benefit in all of these areas. Okay. So which is, which is the reason that I bring all this long stuff up. It's not just to tell you what I think about the world. It's to try to kind of tie it back into RC. So uh, the long version of how we got into the hobby. Um, when David was three, he was diagnosed with a form of cancer called embryonal rhabdomyosarcoma. Uh, and you have not heard surreal until you've heard a three-year-old pronounce that correctly. It'll just blow your mind. What kind of cancer do you have? Embryonal rhabdomyosarcoma. And everybody's like, what did he say? Uh, so his odds of surviving five years uh, with ideal treatment were about 70%. And as cancer goes, that's pretty good odds. But take a step back and let's put that in perspective. Uh, if you take two dice in your hand and roll them, if you come up with a seven or an eight, your precious child will be dead in five years at the age of eight or younger. He will never have had his first kiss, never have made love, never had children, and will spend will have spent most of his life suffering. So uh, as you can imagine, this is a stressful situation to be in. Uh, puts a lot of stress on a family. His prescribed treatment was 43 weeks of chemo, which means 43 weeks of throwing up two or three nights a week. Uh, it means you're going to spend many hours a week in the hospital for chemo and for chemo prep. It means going back two, two more times every week for treating their symptoms from just from the chemo and seeing your oncologist. Uh, it means much, much less time just comfortably spending time together as a family. It means going to the emergency room for every fever. Uh, he also had six weeks of radiation therapy every day in a row, like six weeks, seven days a week. In the middle of that 43 weeks, and just for grins, my wife was pregnant with our third child. Damn, dude. <laughs> Holy crap. Sorry to interrupt it, but Jesus Christ, man, you're 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 a, you're a much stronger human being than 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 most people that I know. Well, you say that, but you know, you you, you don't know how strong you are until you don't have a choice, right? We as, as in America in particular, we we're so comfortable most of the time. We just you don't know what you're made of. And, and, and most of the parents that I saw up there with sick kids uh, did better than I did. I mean, it's uh, people are, can be really amazing. And I'll tell you, just as a, as a quick aside, uh, if you think there's no more kindness and goodness left in the world, you have not been around childhood cancer. Decent people just crawl out of the woodwork and go out of their way to make your life less shitty. And I, I just cannot, uh, cannot possibly express the gratitude that we felt for all of that. Uh, so you have this situation. Um, and of course, baby brother is two and he also needs love and attention. So he doesn't form an opinion that big brother is the only one who matters. Right? He doesn't understand cancer and death and cloying fear. He only understands if he's special or not. So in short, our whole life became one of two functions, uh, either getting treatment or supporting treatment. Uh, it was absolutely, absolutely a war. And, and, you know, most people know somebody who's been through cancer, or is going through cancer. And um, so, you know, I, I think that what I'm talking about is not really strange to most people, uh, but unless you've been in it personally, it, you, you may not know. Uh, I mean, it, it, it also means being thrust into a position as a father where you can't directly fight for your child. 
You know, I'm a, I'm a traditional Texan. I grew up boxing and shooting guns. I own guns. I know how to deal with a bully. I know how to deal with an Im- immediate threat or to defend my home. But cancer, I did not have any obvious way to fight, right? And so but I began to focus very strongly on supporting my family through that year. Uh, so one, one thing that began to happen as, as fatigue and depression set in is that we were spending more and more time in front of screens, uh, phones, tablets, PCs, televisions. Uh, everybody's tired. Everybody's cranky. Everybody's been up till four in the morning dealing with a vomiting child. It got pretty bad. You know, at some point we just decided enough was enough and we just did away with them. No television in the house, uh, no smartphones at dinner or at the hospital, uh, and we, we, my wife and I, and God bless her as most of this was her idea. We decided we were going to spend time talking to each other if it killed us, which of course means now we got to find things to do together. Right? So without all this screen time, uh, I have two young boys on my hands, one of which, one of which who might be dead soon. And one of which, uh, and both of which, I'm sorry, both of which were just being little boys. You know, they jump off of things that are too high. They want to build the biggest thing ever. They try to kill themselves at every opportunity, and they're more destructive than a Rottweiler puppy if you leave them alone for five minutes. So we needed some stuff to do, <laughs> and we needed it now. Uh, so I didn't have a lot of ideas, so I thought back to my childhood. Um, and there there were two things that, that I did with my dad that I really, really loved. We didn't always get along the greatest, um, but, but we always did baseball together and we always did RC cars together. And we, we never, never, ever fought or, or got in a bad mood with each other over those two things. And baseball was largely out of the question. I mean, you got a kid who, who doesn't have enough platelets. Uh, you know, every time you, you pick him up, you got to be careful not to put a bruise on his arm. Uh, he's, and and he, had, he had a damaged eye, so it's, it's not great at ball sports anyway. So I kind of defaulted to RC. I'd figure, hey, what can go wrong? So uh, cars were pretty approachable at first. Um, and if anybody hasn't done cars with their kids, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hoot, of course, and it's really convenient. You don't need a ton of gear. Uh, you can drive them a lot of places. You can make them as fast or slow as, as ability allows. And there's a ton of wrenching to do together indoors. Uh, and then, of course, when you break something, uh, you can fix it together. So just kind of real quickly, our progression in the hobby in general, we tried model rockets first, actually, which was just something else I did with my dad. And that's really, really fun on launch days, but it's too much building and it's not enough flying for kids that small. So it kind of became, uh, so we got into RC cars, uh, like everybody else, we started with Traxxas trucks. We wound up with eight or something. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like, I, I got a slash, David got a stampede, James got a summit because it was indestructible. Even my, even my, uh, my daughter, when she got to be about two and a half, started noticing that she didn't have a car. So we got her a Bigfoot and, and, and like little girls will do, she, she played with it a little different, right? She didn't smash it into everything inside and see if she could break the, the front A-arm. She, uh, she taped her, her pink unicorn stuffed animal to it and, and gave it tours of the neighborhood. You know, <laughs> It's pretty, pretty classic. Anyway, every, everybody was involved. Um, we got a Ford GT maybe and some formula one cars. And we actually started kind of balancing those a little bit. And the kids got to where they could make laps around the, the concrete track. And, um, you know, if you haven't done RC cars with your kid and they're, they're maybe a little young for planes or helis, they're just fun. They're convenient. They're easy. They're not that expensive. 
And every single time they run into something, it isn't the ground and they're not going 40 miles an hour. So it's, you know, it's a little less likely that you smash them. We have a, we have a, a miniature crawler. It's one of the uh, Horizon hobby ones. I, can't, I forget the name of it. Uh, it was like 80 bucks or something like that. But my, my five-year-old chases the baby around with it, which is hilarious. I love that. <laughs> I mean, the crawler, the crawlers are, are you know, super sturdy and, and not that fast. So it's uh, right. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. Yeah, with that summit, man, he, he they would make me lay down and see if they could like crawl it over different parts yeah, of me. Exactly. And then they would they would pile pillows and books and other stuff on top of me to see if they could make an an impassable course. And uh, yeah, I got hurt a few times doing that, but it was fun. Well, I uh, I always get these you know these impassioned pleas of Daddy, can I fly your helicopter? Whenever I go and fly in the backyard with my with my uh, MCPX, and I want to say mm-hmm. yes, but I. I'm not going to until she at least knows how to. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, where this, I don't, I don't want her, I don't want her to lose interest, you know? Um, but at the same time, I don't want her to fly. I don't want her to fly it either. How, how old is she? Um, she's almost six. Oh yeah. We're, we're going to get to her real okay. quick. Um, the, just the other benefits real quickly of cars, just before I move on, um, is that, uh, you know, you get outside the house with them. So like we, we would take them, we have a, a, a local park with like 12 or 15 miles of trail. So we would go to the park and just do trail running. We'd run them until the batteries ran out and then carry them back to the car. Uh, we did some rock crawling under the local bridge, bashing, bashing at the playground if there weren't other kids around, all that kind of stuff. And of course, you get to learn a lot, right? You're building. You build it together, I hope, or you uh, repair it together. Uh, everybody could do it, even baby Rebecca. And uh, of course, there's no screens at all. So uh, it was a good experience. Um, we did that while David was sick. He finished his treatment April uh, 20, 2015. And, uh, we, we kind of, you know, we, we got to where we could have a normal life again and we, we kind of lost interest in the cars. We eventually sold them all. Um, and then in December, 2017, I decided that I was going to finally get into helis, which is something I'd been wanting to do for a long time. So I just went cold Turkey and or I guess whatever the opposite of cold Turkey is. I just dove in. Um, we, we kind of already talked about my, my initial set of goblins and how stupid, ambitious I was and crashing and crashing. And, um, but you know, what, what I did was I just set up a budget, right? 400 bucks a month. Um, if I have money, I can buy parts. If I don't have money in that account, I can't buy parts. And I just kept at it until I could fly. Uh, and then of course, um, we started getting the kids involved. So, uh, they started with airplanes, which I think is more sensible for five and six year old boys. Um, on David's birthday, March 2018, he got an apprentice for his seventh birthday. And he, he this collection quickly progressed to many, many models. I mean, we I'm just looking around my hobby room now. I've got one, two, three, four, five, up seven airplanes hanging on the walls between my room and their room. Uh, and then the kids eventually um, started wanting to progress to helicopters. So that's our progression as a family, Okay. So now I'm going to kind of take a step back and talk about kids in general in the hobby. And, and the, the first thing uh, is why should you bother? Because they're not always really interested. Uh, it's not super easy. It cuts down on your flight time, but there's a lot of benefits to it. Okay. So uh, it, it provides an activity everybody can do together and enjoy. Uh, if, if mom's not into it, it gives her some time alone. Right. While while mommy and the kids go have a good time, she she gets the kids out of the house and can decompress a little bit. Uh, it builds hands eye coordination. It builds patience. 
Uh, it builds an understanding of practice, which I think is really important, right? There's a process by which, which a person gets better at something. And RC flight is a fun way for even very young kids to kind of get an understanding of that, right? You go out the first day, you crash. You go home, you work on the sim, you do some circuits, you take off and land, you crash, you crash, you crash. All of a sudden, you're not crashing as much. You go back to the field after you've made your repairs and you're flying the damn thing. And as an adult, you can go, now let me explain to you what just happened, right? That first day was sad. We crashed. We all cried. Nobody, nobody liked it, but then we went home and we worked on it and now look what you can do. And all of a sudden they, they kind of get that process real early, which is kind of hard to get them to do, you know? I mean, so did you do it without a buddy box and just kind of let them have at it? Um, we did it both ways. Uh, I don't remember which came first. I, I'm sure I, I'm sure I buddy boxed with them. Um, actually I think their very first flights were like with an older, more experienced pilot at the club who just like handed them their radio and grabbed it back when they got in trouble, <laughs> you know, kind of old school. Um, yeah. Fly three mistakes, three mistakes or one radio grab high, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, 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 uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was an, it was interesting. Uh, we, we had some crashed airplanes, of course, quite a few. Uh, of course, they're all foamies, right? So, I mean, crashing a crashing a, an apprentice versus crashing a, even a small RC helicopter is like peanuts to to dollars. It's nothing. Well, the latest uh, the latest apprentices have like GPS holding patterns in them, right? I, I'm sure they do. I don't own one anymore. Um, we crashed it because I was actually looking at, at getting one of those. I'm I'm thinking that. I'm going to start taking my daughter with me to the field just to kind of hang out with me when I go again, just to, you know, to yeah. kind of clear the house in the, in the early hours oh, yeah. of the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's, there's all, there's all kinds of problems that come with that. And I'll, I'll walk you through how we solve them. Of course, everybody will have their own ideas. Um, back to the benefits. So that, that understanding or practice, I, I don't want to harp on it too much, but I think it's really, really good character building at a young age to, to, have a child begin to understand that. Um, so it gives you an opportunity as an adult to display calm in the face of catastrophe, right? Like, so you, you're out there flying, uh, somebody crashes an airplane. You go out, you pick up the car because it's broken in three pieces. The kids are crying. And you you can kind of make a lesson here about how this isn't a big deal. And um, that that's the kind of thing that's going to happen pretty repeatedly in the hobby, right? Even uh, Even pros crash helicopters. So it, it, that's, that's a life skill to be able to, to deal with that uh, and understand that it's, it's just a thing. It's just a toy. It's not the end of the world and that we can fix it and get it back, get it going again. Um, it gives opportunities to, to discuss these kinds of emotional ups and downs, which I think is huge. Uh, there's a, there's a huge benefit to a, a kid, you know, somebody who's like at the, at the age of being able to build a Lego set to sit down and diagnose and repair a crash, to take apart a machine with their own hands and their own eyes and look at it and look at a manual and figure out what goes where and how it was all connected. Uh, you're exercising a ton of mental muscles there. Is really, is, as an adult, we don't, we don't think about that so much. But for a child, man, you give them a broken machine and some parts and walk them through how to fix it and their eyes are just dinner plates most of the time. It's really, really... I think that's really good for them. Um, allows your kids to be, you know, we talk about old older people in the hobby and allows your kids to be at a field, casually hanging out with uh, older mature men where you can see them and keep an eye on things. And, you know, we talked earlier about life experience and hearing those stories. And I, I think that's good too. Uh, 
I mean, cranky old plankers, as cranky as they are, they're a treasure. And I do mean that. Uh, and I hope that I don't get cussed out of the hangout for saying so. Um, yeah, it allows you to make and stick to a budget, or at least it gives you an opportunity to. Some some of us treat our money like children, so I don't know if that's that's true for everybody. But um, you know, I, I I kind of walk through the the financial side of the hobby with the kids and let them know, okay, we crashed this, and we're going to fix it. But here's what it costs. Here's how much we have in our kitty, and we can either do it this week or we had to wait. Right. So kind of help them understand how money flows through the hobby and what it costs to do things and crashes and start to, you know, maybe start to make them pay for their own repairs as they get a little bit older. Uh, give them some chores to do if they want to fix a plane and that kind of thing. Okay. So that's the benefits. Here are the challenges. Um, they don't care for it at first. It's not, it's not a screen. It's not a video game. It's not another five, six, seven, eight year old kid to play with, right? It's a different kind of thing. It requires more investment in time than they're used to. It requires a little more energy, a little more effort, a little more patience, right? It's not just start something up and immediately have fun, right? It's it's get something, take it out of the box, put it together. Even if it's a foamy, it takes an hour or something, program a radio, charge a battery, drive out there, pack everything up. Uh, and they don't want to do that. Uh, they have a shorter attention span, right? So if, if I go to the field with the kids, you know, when I was flying alone, I'd go knock out 10, 20 flights. Uh, that's not usually realistic with my children. Um, they have age-specific coordination, and I always seem to overestimate their ability, right? So uh, I always want them to fly something that's like two notches bigger and faster and, and more capable than they're ready for to our mutual detriment and to my financial detriment. So uh, it can kind of learn from my lesson there. I let them take it easy to begin with. Uh, they get bored easily, right? So they hang out the field all day. Uh, they're going to lose interest in what something else to do. They tend to break things. And this is huge if you're at a club and you've got other people out there on the weekend with their multi-thousand dollar toys. Um, you need to have your kids kind of know the rules and know what to expect. And maybe talk to some other people in the club and say, hey, they know not to touch your stuff. But if they do and they break something, I'll pay for it. Please don't panic. And um, But, you know, you kind of have to be aware of that. So there's a little bit of work to do there. Um, they don't understand social convention like adults. So again, it's the touching thing, right? It's fine to look at my my uh, hand-built P51, but please hands off. Um, they may not know when they're asking too many questions to another adult to be annoying and that kind of thing. And they don't know the unspoken rules of the hobby, right? So you kind of have to be on top of those things. And unless it's a screen, they don't want to do one thing all day long, right? I mean, just kids... They want to shift around and do seven different things. And if they're if they're young or shy, uh, they can be intimidated by all those adults at the field. So those are the kind of the challenges we've dealt with. And now I'm going to tell you how we've dealt with them. Okay. Uh, so just in no particular order, uh, when, when we go to the field, I take all three children. Um, Rebecca is uh, just turned four in January. Uh, she's really not old enough to fly very successfully. Like if I put her in front of the sim, she'll mash the sticks and she'll see that the airplane is doing something different, but she doesn't understand the connection between what she's done and what it's doing. So, but when she goes to the field, we, we make sure to take stuff for her to do, right? Books, uh, checker set for her to play with the other kids, maybe some flashlights or something, but something else for her to do so that she's not just standing there being bored and, and making a nuisance of herself, right? So if you got people who aren't going to fly, uh, 
uh, really helps to take something else for them to do. Um, when it comes to getting started, okay, so this one's for you, Paul. Uh, when it comes to getting started, especially with kids that aren't interested, uh, people will say that a lot. And, and my kids were not interested either, to tell you the truth. When, we, for, when I first started flying, they, were, they had wanted nothing to do with it. And to that statement, I would say the following. We're the parents. It's our job to choose some activities for our kids that we think are good for them. It's also our job uh, to insist that they reach some minimal level of competence before allowing them to walk away, right? So we as adults, we all understand that playing the piano, for example, is not fun from day one. You have to reach a certain level before your, your ineptitude gets out of the way and you can sit down and just enjoy making music, right? But children don't understand that intuitively. To them, something is either fun or not fun. So if you make them participate anyway, kind of watch their ability grow and point it out to them uh, when you realize they're having a good time, it's a wonderful way to learn that fact of life, right? In any interest, you're going to have this miserable startup period where it just sucks. doesn't matter whether you're playing an instrument, learning a martial art, trying to uh, learn a trade, learning to solder, uh, even building Legos when you're when you're very little. Um, and after they're having fun, you can go back and discuss that process. So um, you choose to do something, you work at it, and then you enjoy it. And then if you've if you've reached that point where, hey, I can take off and fly circuits and do some loops and rolls and land, and I still think this sucks, okay, this is not for you, and I'm not gonna make you keep doing it. But but I don't I don't think it's harmful to uh, tell a child what they're going to do to some degree, right? And to, to sort of encourage them along the way and, and let them get good enough to make a rational decision about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I feel exactly the same way, but I've always kind of, I guess, pigeonholed those activities to be things that society finds, you know, more or less beneficial, i.e. piano, sports. When it comes to things that I enjoy, I'm a bit more reticent to try to get my kids to enjoy it because I don't want to be, you know, pushing them into something that they, that they just have no interest in. But no, you're absolutely right. It's I, back to the comment of overestimating um, your children's skill. A lot of times I completely overestimate my, you know, daughter's ability to make her own decisions. And she is very, I mean, she's very young right now. And it's, it's something that my wife constantly gets on me to, to, to consider more. Because I, I treat my five-year-old like a small adult, and I shouldn't. Um, I mean, to some degree I should, but at the same time, I shouldn't assume assume as much as I do. And, and like you said, you know, we are the parent here. And I think that there's a lot of valuable skills that you can get with this hobby that, um, and I would be thrilled if my daughter showed interest in any, in a small, even just a small amount of them, a small number of them. Uh, because you're right, you know, spatial, uh, spatial awareness, problem solving, thinking on your feet, uh, there's so many different things that tie in uh, to this hobby that it's 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 actually I'm I'm glad we had this talk because you know I've almost resigned to the fact that my kids just won't be interested in this uh, because it's not something that you know really most people are interested in to be honest. So yeah, this is um it's it's very I'm 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 thoroughly enjoying your story here is what I'm trying to say. Oh well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Uh. I, I think it was Cicero who wrote something along these lines. This is a lesson, you know, poor David, he's learned this lesson really early in life, but it is the most natural thing in the world to, to pursue pleasure and avoid pain, right? Every animal 
does that. Uh, it's a it's a human thing to endure a little pain to reach a larger amount of pleasure or to forego a little bit of pleasure to avoid a larger amount of pain, right? And, and as adults, we generally sort of frown on people who don't have enough self-control or discipline to do that a little bit. And uh, that's, that's a lesson that the earlier uh, a person learns it, I mean, to the exclusion of making your kid miserable, right? But the earlier you understand that, the more inclined you are to study, to sort of kind of figure out what you want out of life and what you might like and, and to, to work for things a little bit. And, um, it, it I, I, I don't know, my kids are still, you know, uh, four, seven and eight, but, but I suspect that that understanding will pay some significant interest. Uh, I'm really hoping that it will. Uh, I completely agree. You know, the concept of delayed gratification is something that I work very hard to make sure, um, my kids understand. And now it's obviously going to take many, many, many years in order to get that. But I, I feel that that's the one, not the one thing, but one thing that my parents instilled in me that has made me a successful human being. Um, you know, I've got two goals as a parent. One, don't raise an asshole and two, <laughs> instill the sense of delayed gratification because those two things will pay dividends. Like you yeah. said, uh, I never really occurred to me that the idea of delayed gratification could be very adequately taught and approached through RC helicopters. That's pretty cool though. Yeah. Well, or the RC hobby, not necessarily helicopters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, RC is a little difficult, right? The, the learning curve is kind of high. The investment is kind of high. Uh, the the amount of times you're going to crash something and spin fixing it is, I mean, it's not terrible, obviously, or we wouldn't do it at all. But it's um, there's enough planning and process there that there there are really some lessons to learn. And but it's easy enough and fun enough that I don't have trouble keeping them involved. Uh, and there's there's a there's kind of a, a balance too of an amount of involvement maybe I'll get into here in a minute. Um, so another thing that's really important is is like age appropriate expectations in general, right? So uh, we we want to we want to do some delayed gratification, but you don't want to try to make a seven year old clean the house every Saturday for a year to earn <laughs> enough money for a hell. They're not going to do it, right? Is this it's too much? So well, uh, obviously the concept delayed gratification has a few different layers, but yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So, I mean, as an, as a, as a teenager, for example, when I was a kid, I wanted a car, I mowed lawns for three summers and my dad agreed to pay for half and I went up with a shitty car and, and I was willing to do that because it represented what a car represents to a 16 year old boy. It's just un, unparalleled amount of freedom. But a, a, a seven-year-old boy is not going to do that. It's not the same thing. It's not the same uh, age level and life experience. So you kind of, and this is true for everything, right? Whether it's the model they're going to choose to fly, the maneuvers they're going to work on, the amount of time they're going to spend wrenching. I'll give you an example. When we do a build, like when we bought, we just built the Spectre 700. It's really for the kids. Um, when we built that helicopter, I required that they each spend at least two hours working on me with that helicopter. That could be 10 minutes at a time. That could be... All at once, uh, David has a long attention span. He would just sat down and worked on it one Saturday. And I was like, okay, I'll finish it up. And James comes every comes for 20 minutes and loses interest in and comes back the next day. But they have to put in some work or it's not their helicopter and they're not going to get to fly it, right? So I, I make that really clear. But I also try to keep it to a reasonable level. Um, so uh, I want to talk a little bit about having some success with mood and temper and every, every adult here even is different. But in this hobby, 
you need to be okay with crashes or you need a GTFO already, right? You're, you are not gonna, you are not gonna participate in RC helicopters for, 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 for three years without having a crash. You know, this, this day, three weekends ago, this, this three Saturdays ago, my kids are there, man. Um, and you know, if, if I were not, my, my dad, he, 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 I don't want to give anybody the idea that my father was not a good father. He was a really good father. We just didn't get along. Um, but he, he did not have good control of his temper and it really, uh, it, it caused him a lot of shame and frustration and, and me a lot of embarrassment. And so, you know, I'm sure I'll make different mistakes, but I, I learned from that one. Right. So when we're at the field and daddy crashes two helicopters and then on the very next flight has one catch on fire in the air, uh, there, there's an opportunity there, right, to 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 show your children how to behave in these kinds of situations, right, and and then to you know if, if they crash, they're going to be sad, but expect them not to have a fit, and if they do, have a conversation about it. So there's you know there's some there there's some leading by example to do there. I guess is what I'm saying around uh, around dealing with this these situations uh, on the sim. So uh, obviously. If you have kids and you want to let them fly your models, the sim is your friend, much more so than it was for you learning, right? Um, I have some tips for dealing with children on the sim. Uh, quite a few. I'll try to keep it to like the list of more important ones. And I don't, I don't want you to think that I stand over my kid's shoulder and, and make it tedious for them. But there's a few things. Uh, if they're going to crash, I want them to hit throttle hold, right? Because we want them to do that in real life. Uh if they're going to come across the flight line, I prefer that they crash than allow that to happen. So we, we make a, a very strong point of never crossing the flight line in the sim because they're children and they don't understand uh, the level of damage that could occur there. And so, of course, even when we fly a big helicopter in real life, it's on a buddy box, period. But even so, I want to make sure they understand that that's important and that they take it seriously even when they're practicing. Um, I make them put in like 10, 15 minutes of working on a maneuver or two at the beginning of their session. And then I just leave the room and let them have fun for it until the, till they get bored of it. And they'll, they'll sit there and switch models and landing strips and fly in water and do all kinds of crap that it's not really productive, but it keeps things fun and interesting for them. And so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't try to make it all work, but I do insist that they do some amount of progress every time they sit down in the sim. So I, I you know, depending on age and ability, I, you know, 10 to 15 minutes seems to be about right. And if we can do that, you know, I like my sim time, I tend to get like 10, 20 minutes a couple of times a week and then maybe one longer session for them. If they can get five, 10 minutes, four or five times a week, that seems to work better. Um, okay, so builds with a child. Uh, same thing. All these things really are re related to the attention span of a child. So we, we don't want to like make them sit there and grind and grind until they're so miserably bored that they're rolling their eyes back in their head. Right. You want to kind of like, like I clean bolts. Uh, I apply Loctite. I do, I do the, the tedious stuff. And then I just let them do the screwdrivers and the wrenches, right? Okay. This, this bolt's ready to go into this hole. Here's six of them go nuts. And then they screw them in and then I tighten them down and then I let them go do something else for five minutes while I get the rest, the next step ready. And so their time involvement, it, it progresses pretty quickly. I, I, I want to make them do some of the tedious stuff, but not so much that it, that it makes them resent me or makes them, you know, associate being bored and miserable with the, with the hobby. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
success with maidens. Um, don't let your kids do maidens is my advice. This, that's my only advice there. Just you, you need a calm head and somebody who knows uh, what to do if something doesn't go right. Um, at the field in general, um, like when we get to the field, try to make sure your kids, like if you're flying planes that day, make, make sure they put them together, right? It's pretty easy to screw on a wing and connect a wire. Uh, before they run off and play with their friends, I try to involve them in pre-flight checks. Like we're doing a little bit of the work here, like pre-flight check. Uh, maybe I'll put one in charge of, of sorting out which batteries are charged and which ones are flown for the day. Kind of give them a job to do so that they stay mentally engaged a little bit. Um, when you set up a buddy box, like on a new plane or new helicopter, uh, walk them through programming the, the, the slave radio, right? Kids can do most of this stuff. They just need you to sit there with them and be patient and kind of walk their hand. Well, I mean, I have some questions along those lines, um, mainly, I mean, honestly, ma mainly r r around the, you know, logistics. So how, like when you go to the field, for instance, and you take all three of your kids, does your wife stay home? Do you have the older kids watching the younger ones? Um, the, the problem that I've found that I had the very first time I brought my daughter, she was um, just turned four, took her to the field, and um, she ran out onto the flight line. And scared the crap out of me because, you know, there was a guy that was landing his plane right as she did that. And I uh, actually lost my helicopter when I was flying. Apparently, Lucy just, you know, ran off and I dumped my helicopter in the ground to make sure that I grabbed her. And so I'm, I'm how does this work with, you know, three young children, um, ex especially when, you know, I'm assuming the only adult is focusing his attention somewhere else? Uh, th that's a good question. I don't have like obvious, I mean, hindsight's great right here. Um, if you had known she would do that, you could have a conversation with it, a, a, with her about it. And it, and if you, she hasn't, she hasn't been back since, right? <laughs> when, when Rebecca goes to the field, usually what happens is I'll take her to the field and our field's only about 20 minutes from the house. We're lucky. I take her to the field. She usually kind of gets the first flight. She'll sit in my lap and mash the sticks a little bit and laugh and kind of like, we play a little game where she tries to like flip it upside down in some way that I can't save it. And she never can. And she thinks that's hilarious. And then, you know, 30, 45 minutes after we get to the field, mama shows up with, if it's after church on Sunday, she'll show up with lunch or something. And we all sit down and eat together in the clubhouse. And then Rebecca will leave and the boys and I will fly a lot more. Um, uh, some, some days though, like if it's just Rebecca's, I mean, if it's just Rachel's day off, Rebecca comes to the field and she, I'm lucky she loves to read. We'll bring two or three books or something. And she'll just sit there and read all day. Uh, or she'll go kick a ball in the parking lot or um, sometimes there's other kids she'll go play with them. But all three kids have been told repeatedly, repeatedly not to go onto the flight line. And, and at our club, it's really clear where that is. Like there's a, there's a white chalk line and there's, you know, the, the stand up, uh, I don't know what you call that fencing, but there's the, the fences and the flight stations. It's, it's really obvious where the business is going down. And, and where the casual hanging out is going down. So they kind of get it. That would, that would have scared the hell out of me. I mean, depending on what's in the air at the time. Yeah. I might've put a hell in the ground too. I mean, thankfully it wasn't anything that I really cared too much about, but yeah, it's, you know, it, I didn't really think too much to bring her to the field uh, the first time. And now I've hesitant, you know, I've been hesitant to bring her back. Uh, she's obviously matured quite a bit in the last two years. So it's not something that I feel would happen again, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can carve away a, a, some family time to actually kind of integrate the entire family into this, because it would be, you know, you know, like, like you said, if your wife showed up and, and, and brought lunch, I mean, that's a, 
that's an easy way to make it a family affair, even for just a small amount of time. So I don't want this to be just me going off, you know, and, you know, especially when you only have, you know, two days to spend with your family on the uninterrupted, you don't want to just disappear for four hours. Um, like my, my dad played golf growing up and I was like, well, see you dad. I'll, you know, see you on Sunday, you know, <laughs> you're going to be gone all day. So. Yeah. Like golf was the thing that my father tried to make me do that, that I just hated and we never could get along doing. I, I just oh, didn't God, have I freaking, the, I freaking hate golf, man. I yeah. Guess. I would, I would, I would hit it in the rough <laughs> and I would throw my club and then he would be embarrassed and angry. And that was, that was nobody had any fun. Um, I, it's actually funny. You asked that I was just about to get in onto my very next bullet point here. Um, but I'll, I will say first that like the, the first time or two that I took the kids to the field, I took them one at a time and I gave them a hundred percent of my attention. And I didn't do that deliberately, but if you were trying to avoid such a thing, like if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't taken your kids to the field yet, uh, I think that's a good way to go, right? Don't take a plane. Just, Hey, I want you to see something cool and go let them watch them, you know, show them around the clubhouse, show them around the field, show them what they can touch and what they can't touch and how to talk to people and, and where the flight line is and then let them watch them flying and then go home and do that a couple of times. Right. And then they know enough, hopefully, and they're, of course you you know, your own kids maturity level and I, I don't, but um, hopefully you could, you could avoid some of that to, to some degree or another. Um, so is, is really relevant. Your, 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 question, Paul, to my, kind of my next bullet point is that there's something to be said, you know, we talked about setting expectations for the kids. There's something to be said about setting expectations uh, about your own day too, right? So maybe you really want to have days when you get, when you go knock out double digit flights of your own. This is not the day to bring the kids. Uh, when I bring the kids, I've learned to be satisfied enjoying their fun to, to a large degree. Like I focus on their flights their needs, their progress. And then I sneak in a flight or two here and there. They get bored before the batteries run out or if they're hungry and they want to go in the clubhouse and grab a snack or something like that. Uh, if you try to take the kids to the field every week weekend and make it about you getting your 20 plus flights in, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. And I don't think, uh, I don't think anybody's going to have a good time. That's just my opinion. You, you might, you might get lucky and your kid is Kyle Stacy and all he wants to do is fly, 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 fly. Good on you. But if you have normal children, <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of ta taper your own expectations. And I think you'll, I think you'll be happier. Um, so with downtime and childhood attention spans at the field, I think I've mentioned this already, but make sure that you have something for your kid to do and try to make it something that they could potentially do, do with another kid, right? Coloring books, board games, blocks to play with, Lego sets, uh, we, we bring a BB gun and stuff to shoot like 10 cans and little targets almost every time we go, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll hand out two or three BB guns and the kids will go shoot up all the anthills in the parking lot, that kind of thing, you know? Um, and they'll, they'll do that for hours. I, I will say, I think it's important. And again, I'm, I, I don't want to sound like I'm preaching, but I do think this is important to mention only do that some of the time, or at least I only do that some of the time. There are some days when the most interesting thing to do is hang out with the club members and listen to their stories. Uh, like there's no, there's no book, there's no BB gun, there's no ball to kick, there's no flashlight to play with. And you, you'll be surprised how much they pick up on when there's nothing to play with and no screen to stare at. I want my kids to learn about grouchy old men and how to hang out with them. It's a life skill and it's, uh, I think it's good for them. And I think it's, um, again, again, just my opinion, 
but I, I think it's a good thing for kids to learn to deal with. It's, it's very interesting. Since we started going to the club, I can't tell you how many times we've been out somewhere and some adult that I don't know or don't know very well will go, your kids are really confident talking to adults. They'll just walk up and ask questions and look me in the eye. And they did not used to be that way. And I think it has to do with hanging out at the field. Um, okay. So let's talk about fun flies a little bit. Fun flies with children are a, a, a deep blessing and a deep curse. And you got to do some thinking here. Uh, because generally it's like lots of travel. It's an all day thing. You, once you're there, if they, if they want to leave early, you're going to be really irritated. Um, so it takes some preparation. Uh, my kids have a blast, but they did not have a blast the first time we went. So kids' bodies don't modulate temperature and fatigue as well as ours. So plan for shade breaks. Uh, even if, if you need to time away from the field, uh, for us being in Texas, we do Texas and Louisiana fun flies in the spring and summer. It can be 105, 110 out. Uh, a local theater can be a godsend, right? It's cheap. It's two hours of sitting still. It's air conditioning. It's entertainment. So it's like, it's pretty common that we'll go fly in the morning and early afternoon, uh, catch a movie, and then make staying up late to watch night flying like a special treat because I don't usually get to stay up late. So that, that might be like a kind of a plan for a day for us. Um, bring things again, I keep saying this, bring things for them to do with other kids, chess set books to read, uh, particularly if there's going to be night flying, like we have three or four of those, uh, of those green Ryobi, uh, the big high powered beam lights. And I'll put like a six amp hour battery battery on each one and give like, give them out to my two kids and two of their friends. And they have something to do all night. They play flashlight tag in the parking lot. They shine them on helis while they're flying. Uh, they just have a ton of fun with those things. Anything you can do basically to let them entertain themselves in a non-destructive way will go a long way towards making sure everybody has a good day because they are not going to want to do helis all day. They want to see the pros fly. They want to fly. They want to see me fly. Hopefully they get to see me crash and laugh at my expense. And then that's kind of it, right? That, so that's like a couple of hours out of a 10-hour day or something. Uh, bring more water than you think you need and, unless you know for sure there's going to be fresh water. Um, I try to give my kids a little allowance for snacks and some raffle tickets. And maybe if I know there's going to be dealers there, you know, let them bring some money or give them some money, uh, for, for new blades or uh small, small drone or heli to play with that they can, that I don't care if they destroy it while they're there or better yet, give them some ways to earn money. Uh, sometimes I give them chores at the field and I'll give them a dollar to, you know, go run this over here or go back to the car and get this thing I forgot or whatever. Anyway, um, that's kind of fun flies, right? you got a expectations, a little bit of preparation. Well, I, I am curious when you guys go to fun flies, is it just you and the kids or does your wife or other family members tag along to have another, you know, set of eyes on them? It depends if, so our local club, like, you know, there's like, there's 10 flying fields in Houston or that are active or something. There's a lot. Um, when we go to those fun flies, pretty much everybody goes, uh, there's only one or two heli fun flies in there. There's one in Beaumont. There's one in Fort Bend. Uh, so we all go to those, but the ones that are out of town or out of state, usually it's just me and the boys. It's just not, Rebecca's just not interested in, and um, she doesn't have, it's not that I wouldn't make her go, but she doesn't have the, she just doesn't keep up. She's run down by one or two in the clock, one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And then it's just a, it's just a miserable day for her. So she's too small to be out in, uh, and she got a small body too. She's like 40 pounds, 35, 40 pounds. So it's pretty it's pretty hard on her. Um, we talked about crashing and dealing with, you know, good attitudes and, and diagnosing things. And that, that, that's actually, 
like a nice thing to make kids do is to tear a heli apart and look at bearings and, and screws and what's been and teach. There's just a lot to learn there mechanically. Um, one major thing that I would say, go out of your way as a parent at fun flies, when your kids meet other kids at a fun fly, those parents are now your friends, find out who they are, get their phone numbers. Uh, when you're going to a fun flyer, when there's a fun flyer thinking about going to call and see if those other, those other parents are going to those fun flies, encourage them to bring you their kids to hang out with your kids. There, there are children like five or six kids that my kids ask for by name. Did you call this, this kid's mom? Did you call that kid's mom? Are they coming? Oh, I'm so happy. She's coming. I like her. I mean, you get these kinds of things and it just makes it, it makes everything easier when they know they're going to be there. Right. Oh, now all of a, all of a sudden. He's looking forward to this fun fly for three weeks instead of going, instead of being kind of ambivalent. And then he just has fun once he gets there. No, now he's asking, is it, are, is it, is it time yet? Is it this weekend? Is it next weekend? Um, that makes a huge, huge, huge difference. It really makes, I can't, I can't overstate that. Right. Um, not, not. And then of course you want to know who your kids are hanging out with and what their parents are like, but um, that's just basic parenting. We don't really need to address it here. I'm just saying uh, go out of your way to kind of coordinate that and, uh, everybody's happier when it works out. Um, this is this has been this has been hugely helpful. I, I really really appreciate the thought that you've taken, um, you know, to kind of go over these topics. This has been fantastic. I, I feel like I'm on the cusp of being able to introduce my my daughter and then you know my younger one to this, but um, I, I've kind of struggled with how to do it because you know like like you said you know I've got a kid that when she comes up against something that she doesn't immediately excel at it's like well i obviously wasn't interested in this it's like no not the case <laughs> i obviously was i love how you phrase that uh you know this thing that i begged you for seven months to let me do i hate it yeah one one try <laughs> yeah she actually told me she actually told me that like you know three days after we got the bicycle she's like well you know i definitely didn't want to do this it's like no you <laughs> yeah. did that, and you that's, will that all sounds very creepily familiar yeah. you're welcome there so so here's now this is one one of these things that like you don't you don't really think about and i didn't i kind of didn't mention it in my um short list of benefits earlier but i it's it's another one of these things that like when i was sitting down to write this down i was like oh damn this is really important to talk about and i don't want to so so um there is definitely when you're a member of a local flying club and you're at the field a lot, there's a huge, huge opportunity for children to participate in the, like successfully in a community organization. So uh, when I go to meetings, my kids come to meetings, they vote, they debate topics, uh, they, they participate fully as club members, even though I don't think anybody really counts their votes. In their mind, they're there doing that, and it, what they think and say matters. And and they and they learn how to sit through that meeting and listen to these things that old men think are important and do all that stuff. Um, that we also do club maintenance. So you'll you'll like if you come to my my club on any given Saturday morning, you might see my eight year old out there sharpening lawn sharpening lawnmower blades or cutting the grass or painting something or putting up a weather station or whatever. I mean they they're doing all that stuff. Uh, they don't do it a lot and they don't do heavy lifting like I do, but it's just part of it. And just like being part of any community organization, we have lessons about that stuff and they're expected to do it and they don't complain about it. And I think there's tremendous value in that. Uh, let's see. There's a little, little lesson here in preparation. All right. So 
If you're planning to go to a fun fly, you can, you know, I'll, I'll get out the checklist. I'll put down everything I can think of that we need to take. And then I'll give the kids a chance to put something on there. We'll make their own little checklist. Do you want to bring the BB gun? Do you think that's a good idea? Do you want to bring a book? Uh, here's your list of things you're responsible to forget. And if, you know, if, if I notice that on David's list, he needs to bring his transmitter and he forgets his transmitter. If we're going just like for a, like a local day, I will let him forget it and we will get to the field, not have it deal with not having it and make a point to remember it next time. Right. We'll put it on a list and, and learn how to pack successfully for something outside the house, which I, you know, is something that even as an idiot 19 year old, I could do pretty well. It seems to be something people don't do as well anymore. I don't know what it is, but every time I go camping or hiking or on vacation, there's always some mundane thing that's just nobody brought. So I think that's good. Um, <clears throat> oh, going to get a trailer. They love doing that. They love putting the trailer on, on the ball hitch and tightening it down and figuring out how to pack everything and get the weight right and all that kind of stuff. So there, there's lots of little details uh, that kids will do if you let them. You know, if you, if you if you just make them wait while you do it, they're just going to get bored and annoyed with you. But if you let them do it, do all the things they're capable of and just exercise patience to let them suck at it while they're kids, then more experience, more practice, blah, blah, blah. I feel like I beat that one to death. Um, we already talked about using the internet and getting help, but I think that's uh, that's a that's a... Uh, just worth reiterating, we, we, we use the hobby as a, as a way to like learn how to use the internet properly for what it's uh, useful for. And then finally, after all of these more important things, we can talk about success in flying, right? At the end of the day, we're going to the field to put an aircraft up in the sky and get it down in one piece. And when that finally happens, man, you, I have not seen many things. Uh, it was just, what's today, Wednesday? It was three days ago that James uh, took off a helicopter, a 500 size helicopter, flew it around the field, did loops and rolls, uh, and landed it with no training mode, no rescue, no nothing. Did an entire flight uh, with me on a buddy box, but with him in control 100% of the time. And he has bragged to every single person he has run into since then that he has finally made this look like that is a huge, huge thing in his mind. And, uh, you know, it was cars and then it was planes and it was crash after crash. And then it was small helis. And then it was drones for orientation in the house. And now finally he's flown what he considers a, like a, a large scale helicopter. And he has really, really taken a lot of pride and a lot of pleasure in having accomplished that. Yeah. It was the same thing both for both of them when they did airplanes for the first time, when they landed airplanes with all their safe mode and self-leveling and all the training modes turned off, just took it off, flew it around and landed it. And all of a sudden, that's all they want to do. They just want to do takeoffs and landings because they were forbidden that for so long until they stopped crashing all the time. And now it's, you know, that they will still go walk around to the old, old grouchy old men at the field and go, I'm about to take off this airplane and fly it around. And land it. Come watch. And those guys will get up and stop what they're doing and come watch and clap. And the whole, you know, it's the whole, the whole shebang. It's awesome. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm, I'm actually, after all the, all, all the headache we went through to get there, really surprised at how much now they claim to be enjoying this hobby. So very, 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 um, very pleased with the results there for both boys. Actually, have been very successful lately. <clears throat> That's all I had. And that was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it.
Um, I am I am now going to drag my entire family to the field this weekend. So when they get super pissed <laughs> off about it, I'll be like, hey, don't blame me. Blame Eric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I make a good... Yeah. Yeah, man. Start small. And um, since you are relatively local, um, are you aware of the uh, Funfly slash Urcha Pact that we made for this year, for this coming year? No. So we're all going to try, you know, we're all going to try to make it to Urcha this year. But um, we were talking to Scott. You know, I haven't been to any of the Louisiana Funflies. So if you're planning on going. Yeah. I, oh, I, I, I heard that in the last episode. He said, you said he was going to meet you somewhere and you were going to meet him at Cajun. Okay. I'll be at Cajun for sure. All right. Well, that sounds like a plan then. And there's also Apache, which I haven't been to. Yeah, Apache is worth going to. For Kenny Sierra does an awesome job running that event. It's really good. The last couple of years has been crap weather, unfortunately. But uh, the the first year I went, I actually uh, was trying to get that that Kyle Stacy edition flying, and and that was like the only that was the first time that I realized that fun flies are a gold mine for getting technical help with a helicopter. It's like it's even better than the hangout usually. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It really is. I agree. There's 20 people there that know what they're doing and can put their hands on your machine and go, this is your problem. This is your problem. You forgot to click here. The end. And now it's flying. It's great. Oh, dude. I tell you what, if you want to get your helicopter fixed, take it to a fun fly, dude. I have, I, <laughs> I might buy this Kraken and heck, get it, get it built at, at the winter bash. Cause I know a lot of people, uh, a few good people that I trust building helicopters will be there. And I might just hand them my tools and say, Hey, <laughs> can you help me out with this? This doesn't do the thing it's supposed to do. Please fix. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about the Cajun, you know, we were, I was trying to talk to some of the guys here in Florida that, that I usually fly that I fly with a few times a year, like Angel and Jared and our new friend Bob, who just got into the hobby. Who um, we all th- we're thinking we're going to take a big caravan, all of us up uh, to Cajun. So take four Florida boys. So. That sounds like a yeah. good, good time to me. I'm ecstatic. Florida, Florida weather is, it's enough similar to, to Texas and Louisiana weather. You know, it's, I mean, it's, I guess it's the Gulf coast, but it's hot and humid. And you guys like, you guys like guns almost as much as we do. There's That's a lot. I, every time I go to. We definitely like barbecue. We definitely like barbecue as much as you guys do. So it's okay. All right. Well, um, to push things along forward, let's just kind of wrap up our our final closing stuff. So we've got you know a new section, Q and A section, tales from Heli Freak. Um, Javier, this is your domain, so you want to kind of go into the news. Yes. Yes. Uh, so let's get started. Um, um, well, quickly, let's uh, just mention the um, uh, the podcast brothers that we have. Um, Freefall RC uh, with their retirement uh, episode that was pretty fun. Um, I I actually believed. Yes, yes. I I thought they were because of how they worded the description on the episode, which yeah, they're they're not retiring from podcasting. By the way, I had a little panic attack there. <laughs> yeah, so so I I said you know it's not. April Fool's Day, it's not nothing that, you know, I think that this this doesn't sound like a joke. <laughs> so I was really concerned. But yeah, that was fun. It was th- th- that they talked about actual retirement from the hobby, which was a, actually a pretty good topic. Hadn't thought about that. That that was pretty good. 
Um, Heliheads, I think that today we may actually come close to that mark. They made a three-hour episode. I have not finished uh, it yet. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's so long that I haven't even been able to finish it yet. Um, but it's but it's really good. Uh, it's really good so far. Um, BK podcast is Nitro dead. Um, that was that was also a a, a good episode. I, um, I I as you all know, I don't like uh, Nitro, so I really liked the uh, the idea of killing Nitro. So that was that was pretty cool. <laughs> hey man, have you have you uh you know there's this podcast uh, Skids Up that just did an all Nitro episode. Have you have you listened to that one? I I I did not. I did it's not. It's pretty good. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky I didn't. <laughs> Think about this. Three or four years ago, all we had was uh, RC Heli Nation. You know, now we have so many different and so many. You know, they're none of them are like each other, and they're all come from different aspects of it. You know, so it's really it's. You better be careful, man. Frank might send his cousin Tiny up there to have a talk with you. you know, break your kneecaps. <laughs> He's going to send a couple of uh, big, tall guys with dark sunglasses and dark. Uh, um, then uh, Telerotor, the mentoring podcast episode. That was so, that was also pretty good. Um, I really enjoyed that one. I thought that was also a pretty good idea. Um, you know, all of our podcast brothers really really have uh, awesome episodes out uh, they're they're really they're really a, a, a treat to, to i just want to hear if javier can remember the names of all the hosts this time um i don't do that <laughs> i don't i don't um i guess uh bk podcast uh bird and kyle and that's about it <laughs> yes uh freefall rc well steven and kevin um uh Hel Heli heads skids gucci and yard sale and andy hey now hey now <laughs> no that would be like hey now or something like that <laughs> yeah i got, I got a, he, I, he i called him one time i said now hey and he was like you got it back or he immediately yeah, I think I think we should all start calling Kevin Yoder for the rest of his life too. We should never, yes, never oh, let that go. And Andy's an awesome dude. I met him at OHP a couple of years ago. Like at the last OHP, it was awesome. He's a good dude. Um, Kevin, and, I've been to the Freefall Funfly up there. Like the second the second year they did it, I flew up. Like I told him like the weekend before, I was like, dude, I'm coming up for the Funfly. And out of all the helicopters, I bring a, a Gasser 700. I'm like, oh. This is what I'm taking with me. I want to be loud and obnoxious. I'm going to bring a gasser. But yeah, I had a good time. It was they're good people. Yes, yes, they are. They are. They are. I um, I met uh, also um the Freefall RC crew at Urcha, and uh, it it's funny because you know, uh, we're all just we're a small community and uh, we're all you know just regular folk. But you know. Being on a podcast is kind of, uh, and especially them, you know, on two hundred episodes now, uh, it can, oh, yeah. they're kind of like a mini celebrity on 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 the hobby. So it's kind of like you know these guys. I was I was about to fly, and they pull over with their uh, with their golf cart with actually that Freefall RC banner and everything, and they come down and oh you're Javier, hey, how are you? And you know uh, let's watch you fly. So you're like no pressure, no pressure, no yeah. pressure. Yeah, I was like, oh my god! <laughs> don't panic, don't panic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How do I? It's like I, I misplaced my thumbs. I don't. I can't fly. Yeah, 
yeah but that was pretty fun those those are really cool guys really really cool guys uh, yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's um, definitely not happening yes all right so moving on to the news um has anyone heard about that oblivion helicopter mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay so they uh they have now the stretch version apparently of uh, of that i think it it started like a 325 i'm not sure and now they stretch it all, all the way to 360. so that's pretty good you know that project seems to be nice um of course we don't want to go into freefall rc under uh 3d printer thing so no that's not for us speak for yourself man because they they do a lot of that <laughs> of, of 3d printing talking about 3d printing so i am I, I am very over. I am very over 3D printing. I, I had to do a, quite a bit of it at my last job, and it's. I guess it's it's you know it's kind of like drones. It's interesting for a little bit, and then, you know, there's only so much, uh, deposited plastic shit that you can build before you know it's like all right, well, I'm done with this. No, I just want a big old CNC now. I want the whole thing. Now, now yeah. laser centering is an entirely different different type of 3D printing, and if you're into that, then I'm okay with it. But I don't think anyone's building 3D printed titanium airframes. Uh, and we were in the news section. My apologies for yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, back 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 into track. Next, uh, Spirit Two flyboardless unit. Okay, so I'm a Spirit pilot. All right, I've got like all of my machines are on Spirit. I'm not 100% sure what this one does that my current ones don't do. Uh, well, it's not, it has, to my it's, understanding... It's 200 axis gyro. Yeah. <laughs> it's right, because it's so many axes. Yes. There's a Spanish language axis, I believe. <laughs> the, only, the, only, the, only, the only real, uh, I guess, um, benefit of this is just modernizing your internal hardware, I, th I think. I think that's that's the gist of it. I mean, there's there's not really too much to it, other than you know they kind of standardized how you plug in the servo wiring with other flavorless units. So uh, for people with Spirit, I mean, it's nice to have something to upgrade to. I don't think it's something that you need to do. It's just something that you know if you're if you're a Spirit guy and you're building like a new heli or replacing a very old unit, it might make sense. I'm actually on the website right now looking at it. It's um, it's sold out. It's sold out like really quick, <laughs> like the first few days. Well, I had a hard time. I had a hard time actually, you know, getting the pro units. Um, and I think every single time I've actually bought a spirit unit, I've had to wait at least a week because it was sold out. So I'm I'm, I'm glad that they are in such high demand. The other, you know, I did hear, I heard something about the the um, the sensor uh, sensor fusion or something. It, said it had something to do with. Um, Extreme vibration tolerance. I, I don't know if that's hearsay or, or what, but I remember reading that somewhere. Yes, yeah, I th I think I think they did they did improve that 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 part probably because it has better sensors, you know, better hardware, so it they can probably program it a little bit smarter. So I'm I'm guessing that's why. Uh, but you know, until until someone says you know that it's really working great, you know, I don't know. Um, I think that the only thing that they said is that it could, it could give you because of the amount of new processing that it has, because it has basically like a better CPU per, per, you know, uh, so to speak. Um, I think that it's capable of like a 2000 degree per second rotation rate or something insane like that. So, uh, 
So it's just, it's just, it's no, just like no, I want one. It's just faster, basically. <laughs> Seriously, I'm gonna buy one now. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we gotta make that happen. Get if only, if only to defy physics. You know, it's like fuck you, physics. <laughs> Call Michael Shaggy Parker. Get him a really angry fireball in one of these, and let's see what happens. Uh, did, did, did I hear something else about about brownout, like extended brownout protection or something? On anyway, I think that was another. Oh feature. yes, yes, yes. It also it, it also has that um, because the uh, it's not it's not an ex, it, it's um it's not a brownout protection protection. It's just that you know that flavorless units uh, usually have one port uh, that you shouldn't be plugging power into. Because that's usually for just like governor signals only. Mm, no. So on the icon, it's uh, the four, five, six port on the Neo. No, I, I remember. I remember specifically reading somewhere that it, uh, maybe even on their website, that it uh, can can operate with an inadequate. In, the way they rephrased it was an inadequate BEC. <laughs> that it's, it's like it tolerates extended brownouts. Yes. Yes. It it tolerates it. It it's it's basically uh, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't burn itself out if you plug more power into it than it that it should, or if you plug it in the wrong place. So it's kind of like that, which seems to be like a new a, a nice feature, you know. Um, I know of those uh, tales of the neo white smoke. Oh, I have one of those. I have it sitting right here on my desk with all the brown goo that's seeped out of that. That's pretty gross looking. Yeah. So it, I think that's what it does, but uh, but you know, uh, not sure. So I think it it, it does seem like a good option props to to mikado though because that's totally my fault and they gave me a a pretty slick discount to get it replaced so hey that was nice yeah it was pretty pretty embarrassing (laughs) i put that as a matter of fact i put that on hango i said hey what happened to this neo it was working great and then i put power on the sensor port to program it a little bit and the next thing i know it was like immediate 40 people do not put power on the sensor port oh okay i guess that's the thing now i know yeah, if you look at the uh, if you look at the spirit manual, there's you know every single explanation of all the different um, options well, ways you can configure. It. It's like don't ever apply power to these pins. Don't ever apply power to these pins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I know. So learn learn from my stupidity. Don't do that. It's because it's embarrassing and expensive. I've gotten magic smoke on a on a on a Pixhawk. I've never gotten one on my fly barless yet. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I'm hoping I'm hoping I make it many yeah. years before that happens. It was it was pretty funny too because I've told my kids a hundred times about the about the magic smoke and they you know they don't believe in magic they always call bullshit and then David was in the room when that happened and he went running to get his brother James James the magic smoke came out of daddy's oh, it was, oh it's just just like lighting money on fire it's the best yeah it's, <laughs> it's the worst <laughs> okay all right so um what else what else you got. All right, so uh, the uh, Hobby Wing Neo integration, uh, which uh, Carl Stacy put out a video about, yes. that that sounds like a pretty good uh, feature, and uh, that that really, I mean, I think that the, uh, the 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 field is kind of trying to get leveled um, with that. You know, uh, the uh, Horizon Hobby came up with their smart line of um, basically Hobby Wing um, ESCs. And now this integration, um, and I think it's just, uh, you know, healthy competition because I think that uh, the Scorpions are the ones that came up with this first. So it's just, you know, a good competition and just products trying to get all these features out that people are asking for. 
So that's pretty cool. Uh, next one is the Kraken Nitro, which I won't talk much about. Um, I know that the, that it's a big fuss. Oh, I'll, I'll be glad to. I'll glad. I'll be glad to talk Go about. Go ahead, that. Frank. Go ahead. That that thing is awesome, man. That thing is awesome. You have a conversion with all SAB parts, which is really really cool. You know. Uh, so I, I'm curious, from someone in the know, how much of this is related to Scott's um, experiments, and and how much of it's just completely. It's it's very similar. I know the SAB made a few tweaks to it, or at least on the frames. But other than that, it's pretty similar to. Uh, to that, you know, um, it was very cool that he shared that design with SAB. You know, he, he yeah. they took his design and of course they tweaked it to make yeah. it all look Italian and beautiful and very beautiful helicopter. Oh yeah, man, no, no, it's it is it is sexy. I seen the helicopter fly in person, man. I saw that. Yeah, it, I'm ready to see. I'm ready to see Frank's first video. I want to see him fly. Man, I I I'm constantly fighting with with you know. I have two black nitros, and they fly great. You know. And I have a Kraken, and I love Nitro. I really do. It's 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 awesome. It's awesome in so many ways, you know. Um, but they're probably I'll probably just have to buy another airframe. That's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna change the one that I have. I like the one that I have. I like the way it is. It has ungodly. You know, I run uh, 2400 head speed on on Bank Three, so it has all kinds of power. I'm looking forward to flying as a Nitro though. It'll be really fun. It'll be a lot lighter. It'll be a lot lighter. You know, I have I have extra motors. I have extra pipes. So I could definitely do one. You know, I have almost all the electronics to one, except for a set of cyclic servos. I was talking to Kyle about it the other day. He's like, yeah, it's pretty solid, Frank. You'll like it. Um, it says the head makes just such a huge difference on it. So I will probably be buying one, hopefully by the end of the year. Yeah, I definitely look forward to to hearing your review and and uh, and get to see some flights on it, cool. Frank. Okay, moving on, uh, the Blade three hundred and thirty S with uh, actually smart um, and um, and integration and telemetry that they're pushing out. Yeah, I just saw this one. This is uh, basically an updated four hundred and fifty X, right? Yes, yes. Uh, that uh, I I I don't know why they did that. Well, cost savings, but. Um, you know, I don't know. Personally, I haven't seen that before. You know, having that weird, odd um, servo way back on the front. And then those, um, how do they call them? Crank belts or whatever. I don't know. Um, you know, it, it, it's bell crank. So it's a completely different uh, geometry. So I don't know. I don't know how good or bad that is. It just seemed weird. So uh, it's a little. Bit, it's 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 not that modern. It's a little bit more moving parts, but it also means less money in development, and you know, hopefully, a little bit cheaper helicopter. I mean, it's it's an old airframe with an old geometry with new technology, right? Like with new battery technology. It's it's interesting that they went that route. I was definitely did not see that one coming. I, I assumed that the uh, the fusion line was replacing you know, all of this other stuff that came before. So no, that, I think, I think they're always going to have the S line. That's like the, you know, that's the, that's the, that's like your second, your second helicopter is kind of the idea. Oh, yeah. no, absolutely. I just, I didn't think that they'd resurrect that older, a previous yeah, okay. top tier helicopter to, to actually turn into the new S, you know? Mm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It was just odd to me personally, but yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. Um, then the next one is the Protos 480. 
Um, so uh, it seems like uh, the Protos brand keeps getting uh, new models out from Excel Power. So um, that's good, you know, more models getting out to the market. Um, I think that this is also a resurrected model. Um, I think this is the, what, the Protos 500 it was, I think, back in the day. So it's also a, res a resurrected model uh, that apparently people liked very much. So we'll see. We'll see how well it, it does. Um, the new uh, the new SAB logo and the web page. Um, I don't know if you guys, uh, you probably were aware that, you know, when the Kraken came out, they also kind of redesigned the Goblin logo to make it a little bit more modern, I guess you could say. And now they've also redesigned the actual SAB logo um, a little bit more squarish, I guess you could say. And they also revamped the whole web page, the whole actual actual Goblin yeah, Helicopter web page. When I was going to check on the prices of the Thunder T that we were talking about the other day, yes, <laughs> I was like, oh, they got a nice, they got a new web page. That's nice. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, I it's it's very nice. I I liked it. I I liked how how it turned out. Um, there's a new radio also coming up, the X Spectrum iX20. Um, I just hope that doesn't suck. Yeah, I, I, I really do. Like, uh, I've played with an iX12, and I know, I'm, I know they supposedly have made it better, but uh, the the iX12, man, it was, it, I mean, it was just, it was an, in, it was an inexpensive Android phablet or whatever. It's too slow to do anything. And they, they say the newer ones, two hundred and fifty percent faster. That 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 would be pretty tolerable if it's true. I just really hope that it comes out and it's not a pig because for fourteen hundred bucks it could be good. I just as a as a software developer myself, right? My if my sort of opinion is if I have to wait on your software for for any reason whatsoever, then f you. And I, yeah, that's that's why I'm using software. It's supposed to be faster than me. And I, I just hope this one. I hope it. I hope it's really good because uh, Spectrum needs. You know, when they dropped the DX twenty, I was like, well. What are people going to do for jets and this and that? So I hope it comes out and it's, I hope it's good. I just hope it's good. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, it really looks nice. Um, you know, it, 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 it certainly has the specs to be a good contender, um, you know, with today's radios. Um, it has, you know, Hall Effect um, gimbals. Uh, they redesigned the case with some weird vendor, supposedly. I personally don't like it. I really love the the. I really wanted the iX12 because it has the same uh, case as the DX9, which to me is you know one of the best radios I've ever held in my hands. You know, ergonomic, ergonomically speaking, at least to my hands. Um, and this one looks more like a DXE, like too tall. I don't know. I I didn't really like the the. Yeah, I I personally didn't. I uh, but you know it it's full packed with features. You know, as you said, faster Android um, operating back system, um, the uh, the new capacitive the the new capacitive uh, switches. Did you see that? That that you you just touch them and they work. So I can only think about you know rescue uh, on kind of like on that feature for for helicopters. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I hope that they, that they do well, but you you know, they're, they're, they're putting themselves again against basically a V-control touch. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. 
Well, the, the issue I had originally was, you know, and then to kind of Eric, to get back to your point about being a software developer, is the idea of dependencies and the fact that you have to rely on an operating system that is already out of date when you begin development on it. Like I, I just had an issue with that, regardless of which operating system it was and which version of Android it was. Um, I like the idea of developing from the ground up your 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 own ecosystem for how this controller will work, the way V Control did, the way Gropner did. Um, I, I just I don't know. I'm immediately suspicious yeah, about I, integrating I, with the larger Android ecosystem on a radio. I, I don't want to do it. I don't. Yeah, but the, 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 they're 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 going for the Internet of Things benefits, right? So that you can, you know, a V Control Touch, you cannot go browse online and click a click a link on on Mikado's website and get a setup that's custom to your new bind and fly, whatever. Right. That, so that's, that's what they're going for. I'm with you. I mean, I, I did, I've done tens of thousands of hours of embedded systems work, but it's expensive, man. It really truly is, is very expensive to do and do well. well and, and then the, the, you know, not, not minor fact that the RC helicopter hobby is a very small market, like very, very small market. All right. All right. So yes, uh, finally we got a, uh, well, I haven't checked out the, uh, the email, but we did get a very interesting comment from none other than Gray Eagle Jr., um, which is the the guy that keeps, uh, yeah. And also he's uh, he's commented on Telerotor, and I think that that was, that was pretty cool that they had that um, like back and forth with him. So that was mm, that, free fall. Yes. So that that was pretty cool, and uh, so he wrote to us, and uh, I can't help but just you know just mention that. Um, I don't want to do, you know, what our other, you know, uh, brothers uh, in podcast arms do. You know, I don't want to copy that. That I think that what Freefall does is like super awesome with that creepy music, and they they read the comments. But uh, but I just wanted to mention it out that you know it's uh, it's really cool that you know that that he wrote out to us. Mm -hmm. And there was, uh, you know, some exchange. If anyone's interested, it's our on on our Podbean feed. And uh, I guess that's uh, that's mostly about it. I did have some weekly picks, but that I feel that that, that will drag on to probably another half hour. So I'll save it for the next episode. All right. Well, um, hey, Eric, thank you so much for your time. It's been a, truly a pleasure uh, talking with you about this stuff. And uh, I definitely look forward to meeting you at um, whichever fun flies we might attend in the future. It's been my pleasure. Uh, so to uh, to get a hold of everybody, if there is such a desire, um, the easiest way would be just to send us an email since the show itself has an email address, which is skidsup.podcast at gmail.com. Um, I can be reached at helifreak at tamupino. Um, and then if you guys want to kind of give your contact information as the easiest way. Uh, Go ahead. So this is Eric. Ma you can reach me at James E. Burcham, J-A-M-E-S-E-B-U-R-C-H-A-M at gmail.com. So uh, I'm uh, toadyscoil at gmail.com, toadyscoil um, on uh, on Instagram or Javier Moreno as well, on YouTube as well. Um, also tinyurl.com slash toadyscoil to reach out my YouTube channel. I also respond there to any comments. Cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening and um, we'll see you in a couple weeks with hopefully new and exciting topics. No promises though. 